Friday, January 11th, 2019, and you are tuned in to Season 3, Episode 2 of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, powered by the Roar Network at thegorillaposition.com, presented by Hameen Media. And in association with Last Word on ProWrestling.com. On this week's show, we're talking AEW, WOW, ROH, and of course, some WWE. But before we dive in, it's my obligation to remind you this is a podcast by the fans for the fans, bringing you all the news that is news from across the professional wrestling world. You can find the show on Twitter at HTMPWPod, Facebook, Hitting the Marks, Twitch.tv, backslash Hitting the Marks, when it works, and email us at HittingTheMarks at gmail.com. My name is Jargo. I will be your host for the day, but give it up for my tag team partner, the man, the myth, the legend, the real RBV, Rick. Welcome back to your show. It's me, it's me. It's that owner of the feed of the feed. Rick Vickery here, back again in the Hitting Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast. You know what? I'm going to kick off today's show. I, I got I to get something off my chest, a little bit of a rant. Uh, for the users of social media, specifically, you know, those that are inquiring for information from businesses, uh, and this more pertains to Facebook, you know, just don't click the I am interested button or where are you located? Can I see a menu? You know, take, some, take some time. Take some initiative, you lazy bastards. It's right there in the tabs to find out that information. Someone has to go out of their way, especially early in the morning, you know, to answer those questions. And it's just not your idiot ass asking it. It's about two dozen of you each and every day to every, every business that is out there. So you lazy, stupid bastards, find the information yourself. That's how my morning started. Somebody pissed in RBV's Cheerios. And funny enough, that will not be the only bastard that we talk about today. Let's go ahead. Let's start things off with All Elite Wrestling. Huckleberry, we had the big rally in Jacksonville on Tuesday. What did you think, man? I mean, th- there was some positives to take away from it. I thought there were some negatives to take away from it. Overall thoughts on the event. What did you think? I, I think, you know, going into this we, we knew what it was. It's right there in the title, Rally. This was a pep rally. They were going to run some town out there. They were going to, you know, get everybody hyped up, get ready for the machine to start moving. And that's what they gave us. You know, going in, you and I, that's like I said, we were expecting that. But we also said we, we need some kind of information, some solid information. I know, Jargo, you were really looking forward to something with the television deal. 
Uh, I thought that might have been over the top. So I was hoping that they would just give us a little insight into their direction, you know, some of the foundation, the business plan, and they provided that for us. So in that sense, you know, it, it totally worked for me. Now, was I, was I overall entertained? I think the presentation, the production over the top was all that. Not really blown away there, but, you know, the circumstances that they were working under, it, I think it was effective and it worked. I think what's been more entertaining is the overreaction from the fans since then. Yeah, there, there has been a lot of overreaction going on, kind of like on a Monday, you know, when your NFL team loses. They call it overreaction Monday. I kind of feel like this has been overreaction week when it comes to everything AEW. Uh, number one, ladies and gentlemen, please stop taking things so damn literally. Uh, we, we've had two instances now where AEW has already kind of had to retract and backtrack a little bit. Uh, Brandy bringing up the, the equal pay thing. And then she had to go on Twitter and really sit down and explain it to people. I didn't think it was anything that really needed explaining. And then we had, uh, Tony Khan on Xbox one, two, three sixty podcast. And he had to go out and explain this whole healthcare situation, which does not sound like it is what everybody is making it out to be. Uh, talking about, you know, oh, we're, we're going to get healthcare to the wrestlers. Well, Mr. Khan had to say on the show that it's going to be healthcare for the full-time talent that is also working inside of office positions. Uh, Rick, the WWE already does that. You don't get a pat on the back for that. WWE already does that. that. That's not changing the world. That's not changing anything. You're just doing what's already standard procedure. Well, and I think, you know, the in the pep rally, they had very wide open statements. Yes. They, they were very open-ended that left a lot of room for interpretation there. And and they knew those buzz those buzzwords, professional wrestling, insurance. Yeah. It's no it's no secret any promotion that has full-time employees, employees is treating them with full, you know, the benefits that come along with employment. Now, in the case of wrestlers, they are independent contractors. I work myself as an independent contractor. So with the 12 or so clients that I have, they're not responsible for giving me any of that stuff. They know that is on me. Uh, now, now Cody did go a little further and say, you know, on that insurance front that if you are injured within an AEW ring, that you will be taken care of. That is something that is uh, somewhat new because we have seen occasions where the WWE would step in and help some of those talents out. Uh, on certain things and, and WWE still has, you know, their, you know, their, their outreach programs to help people with substance abuse or, you know, I think they even have uh, some educational programs to help people, you know, move on from professional wrestling to establish themselves in the real world and all that. So it's not, this isn't, you know, that AEW is going to give you everything that has ultimately vilified the WWE. That's not the case. And a lot of people are getting caught up because they want to, they want to get excited behind the movement. And of course, Anything that's the machine known as WWE has to be has to be evil. Yeah, that's very much the feeling that I'm getting. Um, I saw Brandy getting a lot of credit on Twitter for her responses and explaining the uh, equal pay thing. And I, I even saw people. I, I couldn't even believe she had to explain it. Oh, I, I agree. One million percent there. But I even saw people that were like giving her the pat on the back for saying, you know, this is so much different than what Stephanie would do. 
And I'm reading through it. I'm reading Brandy's comments and I'm thinking this is exactly what Stephanie would do. This is the Stephanie McMahon platitude rant to a T. Don't, well, don't, I mean, I'm, I'm all for giving Brandy credit and, and what she said was exactly right. She did a, a great job in handling the situation, but let's not pretend like Stephanie McMahon is just some vile business bitch who doesn't know what she's doing. I mean, Stephanie's really good at her job. Her on-air character is something completely different. I, I keep seeing the, you know, everyone, it's coming to the defense of Brandy like, this is what she's educated in. This is her background. Well, guess what? So Stephanie McMahon, yeah. Stephanie McMahon has one of the finest educations uh, that you're that's going to be available to anybody. And, and the reason you're seeing parallels in how they're handling themselves, Jargo, and I know you know this, but for those out there listening, is because they, they're both highly educated, and that's what they teach you when you're going in that directive for the CBO position. That those are the answers that you give. That is how you carry and present yourself. But you mentioned you were mentioning, you know, you know, Brandy defending, not defending, explaining. Uh, her statement about equal pay for women and all that. And, and some of these just mark idiots with their, their responses. You know, I don't know if they're, I don't know if they're just flat out just that stupid, if they're trying to troll her, uh, if they think they're funny or some kind of combination, but it was almost just embarrassing. It, it, it really made you embarrassed, you know, to think that there's individuals that will group us together as, you know, professional wrestling enthusiasts out there that, that are just this moronic. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you because reading through that thread absolutely gave me a headache. Uh, I, I think the biggest hit and the biggest miss has to be the viewership, Rick. Uh, the, the biggest hit being, you know, they had over 100,000 viewers live for this thing. The last time I looked, uh, granted, this was a couple days ago, so it's probably up closer to about 500,000 at this point, but it was at 347,000 the last time I looked. That's a pretty good viewership for a pep rally on YouTube. Yeah, I think it was late Wednesday. The last time I saw a number uh, was Matt had posted like at 350. Yeah. Uh, that was the last time I saw a number. So we got to think, you know, that's groom. You know, it's had a couple days to you know, to really sink in, people are checking it out, re-watching it maybe, you know, to take in a little more substance from it. But I, yeah, I think they have to be overly excited, you know, and you're and again, you're not seeing praise for that. You're seeing people trying to, you know, trying to bash the live attendance, but you know, for, for really the, the notice that we had, the location that it was at, I think they, they drew a, a fine crowd there. You know, they had a couple hundred people there. See, now I kind of go the other way. I think that the live attendance was absolutely a disappointment uh, for from what they were expecting anyway. When you look at where this building is, where they had this thing, and when you look at where SmackDown was, it's pretty much right across the street. So you mean? See, I thought no. I thought it was a, a, a decent drive, like a half hour. No, it's like a half mile. Well, that's it. Takes me a half hour to drive a half mile. Well, I sure as hell ain't. I sure as hell ain't walking. That's because you're on a big wheel. Um, to drive a half mile, Jesus Christ! Uh, no, I get one of them. Uh, them carts from the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> Got my little basket with my AEW merch hanging out the front of that bad boy. Oh yeah, we'll talk about I'm, AEW cruising. merch here. I'm, I'm in a going. Second. I'm going at about a cool 12 miles per hour if I can juice that baby up. If I got a full charge, hell yeah. I've heard estimates of anywhere between 400 people to roughly a thousand people. I think they were hoping for more in that 2,500 range, but I mean, all in all, I mean, I, I thought it was all right. I don't think that it was anything to get too overly excited about with the exception of a couple of the talents that were announced, but 
like we've been saying since the beginning, until we have a TV deal, none of this is real to me. Well, and I think, you know, going into this, it might have excited some more fans to go, you know, watch this thing live. Uh, had they said, you know what, we are, you know, in addition to announcing talent, we've got actual hard show dates and details. We've got a TV announcement. You know, if they, but like, like we said, it rally, it was right there. This was going to be a pep rally. I, you know, other things like I'd seen, like they got knocked for including like the Jaguar, like the mascot and the cheerleaders. Again, this is a pep rally. You have those things at pep rallies and it shows that you're willing to, to partner with the people that are investing with you. that are also investing in that have an investment in the Jacksonville Jaguars. And then I was kind of thinking too, because we had some subtle shots, you know, and, and the one that really stands out was, you know, Jericho changed the universe. Yeah. Well, I, I was kind of thinking too, maybe this was a little subtle shot. Hey Vince, you've got a subpar football league. We're shooting straight to the NFL. Oh, wow. Yeah, that, that that's a good point, too. Did you uh, get a chance to check out the X-Pac interview with Tony Khan yet? Uh, I saw some bits and pieces on it. Uh, I was more, I checked out some stuff with the Bucks and Cody uh, as they were doing their interview, uh, sir, you know, doing their rounds. Uh, I caught Jericho on Busted Open Radio. He had some cool things to say. Uh, I've been following some uh, some sound bits from Brandy, but it, I just heard a little bit of, of, of Khan with X-Pac. The Tony Khan interview is very, very interesting, and I look forward to picking your brain on it more once you hear it. I think I'm going to listen to it again because there were definitely some red flags that went up listening to that show. Like, Tony Khan knows this thing's a work, right? Because I'm not sure that Tony Khan knows. He keeps talking about you're going to get paid more off of wins and losses, and it's like you you do know that you determine who wins and loses, right? <laughs> No, you know what? If that's his attitude, and like I said, I haven't, I didn't hear that part yet. Uh, my initial thought is, you know what? I love that. I love that approach. I love that attitude. You know, come at it. Even even if you know within you, it's okay to not just blatantly come out and, and pander to the smirks. You know, bring a little uh, that sense of yeah, this is about wins and losses because when you're winning, it means you are performing better. That you're drawing better. You're bringing more attention to your product. You deserve more money. That's what that's how you get paid in professional wrestling. That's always been, you know, how the pay structure has worked, where you're at on the position on the card. And even, you know, even if you are mid card, but if you're getting people excited, they're buying your merch, that means you're going over. So you're going to you're going to the, get a bigger payday. I, you, I like that. How do you feel about Moneyball and the Oakland Athletics and the way that uh, Billy Bean runs that franchise? I, you know, I'm really split on it. You know, if you really if you want to be a regularly competitive team, I think it keeps you in there, which we've seen from from the A's uh, every now and then they'll really get it where it clicks. So in that sense, it, it's worked for them because, you know, they're they're a mid to a lower budget team. Uh, but I think when you really get down to, you know, the brass facts of it all and nothing really replaces in, in sport the human element, you know, just having that that gut feeling about somebody and you know going back you know to the movie moneyball everyone's seen it and, and and hopefully read the book because it's even better you know when it was really in its in its heyday one thing that always like especially the movie like absolutely killed me about it is they forgot to mention that they had the best pitching staff in baseball that year too yeah <laughs> they forgot to tell you about those three aces that they had that were going out there and just mowing down uh, batter after batter, just shutting down offenses. You know, they, they made it all about the, the analytical side of what's going on in the field. And 
Yeah, and it, it takes up. There's so many elements that that you need to you know to be successful in, in any level of sport. Now, a lot of people are probably wondering why I would ask that kind of question. Tony, Khan, I, I wonder. Tony Khan and Billy Bean seem very much like they are the same person. Very analytically driven, very statistics driven, very numbers driven. It's going to be interesting. Like this kid at the age of 12 was writing HTML for tape trader websites. Like wow. he's, he's one of us. He is a pro wrestling nerd who just happens to have a father that is a multi-billionaire. You know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see maybe if he turns out to be like the millennial version of Dixie. Yeah, because I like I was listening to this dude on the on the one two three sixty podcast, and I kept thinking, "Oh my God, AEW is Silicon Valley of professional wrestling." That's what Tony Khan's kind of vision is for professional wrestling. It's going to be very interesting to see how it works and how it plays out. But one thing I'm not hearing, I'm not hearing anything about like booking philosophy. Who's who's going to be holding the book? I think ultimately, what don't you think we have a committee of the three, Cody and the Bucks? And I think, okay, so then when, how long until issues start arising where the Bucks are just outvoting Cody? I think you go in, you know, let's let's talk about, I mean, how would you set that up? I mean, I think I think they're going to have some parameters, but I, this kind of reminds me going back to the territory days, uh, and it might have been the USWA where they would have, it was Lawler and Jared, I believe. And they were in charge of the book. And because they didn't always see eye to eye, they would each book in six month cycles. Yeah, I do like I, I, I've heard uh, Jim Ross actually talk about it before that, in his opinion, and I guess it was something that uh, Cowboy Bill Watts used to do. You would rotate bookers once a year. So, yeah, it makes sense. Or, or you know, maybe you have like where they each have a, a four month or, you know, Cody and he, his partner have a six month cycle and then the Bucks have a six month cycle, something like that. Because within that time frame, you could build a story, drop it, and start back over. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's let's uh, bring this up again when we talk about the uh, talents and staff, and I'll tell you what I would do regarding the booking committee. Uh, here's something that we do know. We do know Double or Nothing is going down Saturday, May 25th at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas, Nevada. You heard Viva Las Vegas off the beginning of the show. Huckleberry and I were already making our plans. I already got my hotel room booked. I know the Australian sensation Craven's going to be in the house. It's going to be a good time out in Vegas, Memorial Day weekend, 17,175, the capacity for the MGM Grand. Huckleberry, what do you think? How fast are they going to sell this place out? I, I was going to say, I like, just real quick, I don't think they're going to have any trouble selling this thing out because we had, what, 10 go in 30 minutes last time. Yep. Uh, they had to open up as many as they could, which pushed it close to 12 that were actually in that building. So we're looking at they need roughly uh, six more. Yep. 6,000 more here to hit this goal. I don't think they'll have any issue uh, achieving that goal. But let's say they do run into some kind of snag. I love that they chose Vegas because you talk about the easiest place to paper and co- and get cops. You, yeah. This goes back to anyone that has listened to uh, Bruce Pritchard when he talked about WrestleMania 9. Uh, they were out there. It was 9, correct? Yep. They were out there at 9. They chose Vegas because they, had, they knew they weren't going to sell that thing. Now they know go to Vegas – that they're going to get every the casinos are going to comp everything. They're going to have a full house no matter what, so it's going to look good on television. They're going to get their payday, 
I, I like that the choice that they're going there for this. Highlight of that show was Bobby Heenan backwards riding a camel. Uh, StarCast 2, we know that's going to be going down May 23rd through May 26th. So, Huckleberry, you better be loaded up because we're going to be in Vegas, and I know that you have some extracurricular activities planned. We, sir, are going to be at the Tuscany Hotel, which is right off of the strip that was sent to us by the StarCast people. So I'm assuming that's where StarCast is going to be. It's within walking distance of the strip. It's walking distance distance to the MGM Grand. I think that's a genius idea. More details as they become available. We also Ooh, know- I do like that we're going to be in walking distance. You know, that yeah. was one of the bummers last time that we you know we were about a half hour away. Yeah, we had to and it, it, it was kind of well it, and it was it was such a it was such a rush. It was so hectic to get from one to the other because you had so much going on, you know, that day at Starcast, there really wasn't much room to breathe. You're trying to get a bite to eat. You know, especially in our case, Rivera takes us to a pizza place. It takes about fucking two hours to get a pie. Jargo just takes off and gets some double bacon cheeseburgers from Wendy's. So he's all nice and, you know, snug in his seat ready for StarCast. I'm rushing into the arena trying to get there before the bell. So, yeah, now we can just go across the street. We'll be good. And then it sounds like I'm going to assume Labor Day weekend, it will be coming to Jacksonville, Florida. No big surprise there for their second show. I did think it was cool with uh, them making the announcement that a large part of the proceeds from that show are going to go to benefit those that are victims of gun violence. Uh, Already kind of building that brand. Thought that was a wise idea. Uh, So, Rick, I assume this is going to be all out. We've talked about the potential of them doing it right there at AAII field or whatever the hell it's called where the Jaguars play. Um, I did do a little bit more research where SmackDown was on Tuesday night. That's called the Jacksonville Veterans Memorial Arena right down the street there. 15,000 person capacity. Jacksonville, I think they can do 15,000. I don't know about doing the uh, the Jaguars stadium, but I think 15,000, that's very doable. Well, you might also run into, though, WWE blocking them. Yep. Uh, they don't, you know, that was an issue in Chicago with locking down, you know, some different arenas or, you know, just even beyond Chicago. Cause wasn't the first one they tried was out in Los Angeles. I believe uh, that was the rumor. So. I, I think Cody spoke about that and it was kind of, yeah, we, we already do business with the WWE. We've got enough wrestling here in this building. Right. Uh, so they ran it. So, and that's another thing, you know, if they do, you know, you get into touring and things like that, it, it's, it's a competitive nature of the business here. We're. You know, you got your contracts in place, and it's it's not that it's WWE being jealous or trying to hold them down. It's just the nature of the beast when it comes to business. But even in saying that, if I'm the Jacksonville Veterans Memorial Arena, I'm going with AEW, and I tell WWE, okay, cool, thanks for coming. WWE cannot sell out that arena. They have never sold out that arena. This is going to be AEW's home base. I mean, this is going to be a regular venue for them. I get well, and then it comes down to as well. Okay, AEW, how many shows are you going to promise us? Because we're getting WWE two or three times a year. Uh, we've, yeah, we've had them for so long. We know that they're going to be around for decades to come. You know, w- what is the guarantee? What is the upside here? We we know we appreciate that Jacksonville's the home base. We want to support you, but we've got a business to run too. We just can't abandon this. And within five years, you guys are out of business, and we can't get a show back here. 
Yep, that's a very, very valid point. So let's go ahead. Let's uh, take a look at some of the uh, talents and staff that was announced on Tuesday. Obviously, we have Cody Rhodes, Matt Jackson, and Nick Jackson as your executive vice presidents. Tony Khan serving as president. Brandy Rhodes, your chief branding officer. Joey Janela and Penelope Ford. That, that, that's uh, two interesting ones that I want to talk about. Uh, Chris Jericho now playing the role of Terry Funk in ECW. That's kind of how I'm viewing Jericho's role inside of uh, AEW, but I do think that it's of note. Chris Jericho signed a three-year contract with AEW. Of course, we have no idea how many dates are in those three years, but it is officially a three-year contract. I, I like to, with the, did you hear what Jericho was talking about? That he actually spoke with Vince before doing this? I did hear that. Uh, said it was a, um, a good conversation. Uh, Vince wished him, wished him the best and, you know, kind of the way, where I took it is, hey, you know, You've always got a home in WWE. You're just you're one of those guys that's uh, very adventurous in business. Go out there, hey, best of luck to you guys. That's what we got from Vince. On the flip side, where everyone thinks it's WWE being so petty that they removed Jericho from video packages and yeah, and moved into the alum section. Yeah. yeah. Big deal. Uh SCU officially announced, which I think we all kind of knew. Maxwell Jacob Friedman, Adam Page, Britt Baker. Um, and then we have Pac who I want to talk a little bit about, O-W-E. Uh, but let's uh, go up here. A couple of names that aren't getting a whole lot of press. Obviously, we've talked on the show before about B.J. Whitmer signing on as a backstage agent slash producer. And now we're seeing Billy Gunn has signed on as a backstage agent slash producer. I think that's a huge get for AEW. Now, my question to you is, what role is Joey Janela going to play inside of AEW? I mean, obviously, he's going to be a talent. But, you know, I'm looking at this thing and I'm thinking, you know, okay, it wouldn't surprise me to see somebody like Tommy Dreamer affiliated with this thing. I expect at some point Joey Ryan is going to be hooked up with this thing. And I'm seeing BJ Whitmer and Billy Gunn. This is all guys that run shows. This is guys that know how to secure buildings. This is guys that know how to put together a card. These are guys I would put together as my booking committee. I wouldn't have Cody, Nick Jackson, or Matt Jackson on the booking committee if for nothing else than cosmetics sake. You know what? I, 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 kinda, I like what you're saying there. And I thought about this too when we were talking about the cycle there. Even if, especially since they're going to be, you know, they're in their positions of vice presidents, they're going to be on air talent. Wouldn't it just, would it just make everyone feel just a little better, a little more cozy inside if they weren't on the committee? Yeah, because I, I think one thing that I really took away that I'm going to write off as a big miss from this pep rally was this has to be very, very careful of not coming across as a vanity project for Cody and the Bucks. And now we're seeing, you know, there people are already talking about the nepotism of bringing Brandy in as the chief branding officer. I think we need to take a little bit of heat off of Cody and the Bucks here, take a little bit of a step back. Let somebody like BJ Whitmer actually run the book for six months and then go ahead and throw it over to somebody like Joey Ryan or Joey Janela or Billy Gunn. Although that might be terrifying. Interesting that you mentioned Joey Ryan because he recently tweeted, you know, best of luck to AEW. Uh, I cannot, unfortunately, I cannot join right now as my Lucha contract uh, is going to prohibit that. But like you said, you have to expect uh, eventually in the future, you know, that's what we're going to get. And you're talking about some other names that you expect to join, uh, to join up with these guys from, you know, just helping run the shows, uh, guerrilla agents, production. I, you know, I, I'm looking back to all in who was heavily involved, you know, DDP, uh, Jeff Jarrett, you know, who we were talking yesterday in a private conversation 
we both agree. You you kind of have some reservations about Jared, but you, hey, when he when he's clean, he is one of the best you could have around. Yep. And if he can bring that to the table with these guys, and I know that's a name that's going to scare a lot of people out there. But as long, but you know, if he's not the head honcho, I was he's that's the other be fine thing. in that role. As long as Jeff doesn't have a whole lot of power, if he's just a part of a committee, if he's working for the company, not necessarily as the owner, not running the finances, not running the book. You know, Jeff could be a very valued member of the AEW team without actually being in a position of power. You need a pilot sitting there, you know, uh, of course, because what we saw it all in, you had Cody and the Bucks taking, you know, taking their time at Gorilla. But, you know, from our understanding, Jeff was right there. You talk about someone that knows about cues and cameras and when to cut, when you're going to move, how you're going to shoot something, how to, you know, pace the show. I mean, it, it, Arguably, is there anyone better than Jeff Jarrett? I mean, his, his experience in this. He's seen it since he was a little kid. And he's the only guy since Eric Bischoff that had the testicular fortitude to go after Vince McMahon. I mean, and you know, you, we, we can say, yeah, but it was a miserable failure, but he still had the testicular fortitude to go after Vince McMahon. That says something about his character as far as I'm concerned. But let's keep Russo away, the hell away from it. That's the other thing that comes with Jeff Jarrett. I don't think I know because we're going back. I know Cody and Russo don't necessarily yes. like each other. Yeah. I, I just don't think, uh, and this, and I don't want to bash either side here on this. Well, I just think it's not just Russo, man. I'm hearing a lot of names of people talking about bringing in like people like Goldberg, like what the hell would I do with Goldberg no, no, and a company I, I like AEW? I, I think that would be a genius move. Oh. I, I would love to see Goldberg. He's bringing tremendous recognition to you. And it, as I pointed out, I, I don't know if we, we talked about it on a show or it was just a conversation that you and I were having. He can do other things besides what you're just expecting of him in the ring. Let's let's remember, this guy is a great television personality. He's got a number of shows that he is hosting. He can bring some you know web series alive for you, uh, you know, great interaction with fans, stuff like that. There's a number of roles that you can plug Goldberg into and, and, and capitalize on his fame. What about his uh, color guy? Could you see Goldberg sitting at a commentary table? You know what? In select spots? Yes. I, I absolutely could see that. I, I don't think it's somebody that you want, you know, on a like on a weekly program or maybe throughout the entire like a, a show like double or nothing. Uh, but for a couple of big matches for some of your heavyweights, uh, I love to see some of his insight. You know, when you've got Adam Page out there like in a throwdown fight with another big man. So you're bringing in a big guy that's been there, the intensity that you need uh, for a big match like that. I think Goldberg, that's something he, he would would be a, a tremendous addition for. Speaking of Adam Page, let's talk about the angle that they set up at the uh, rally. That bastard. Yeah, I told you that we'd be talking about another bastard. That bastard Pac, number one. I love Pac showing up and his freaking skibbies like ready to fight. That was my first. It was, it was the first thing I said. He's in his ring gear. I love it. I freaking loved it. Absolutely loved it. So Pac is in AEW, which I think is a huge signing. And immediately, one of my first questions to you was, I wonder if this means that they're going to be working with Dragon Gate. Because Pac obviously comes out with the Dragon Gate title, says he's already a champion. And if you want it, come and get it. So I'm assuming that we're going to get Paige versus Pac for the... Uh, Dragon Gate, Dream Gate, Open the Dream Gate, I think is what it's called, championship, at Double or Nothing. Now, yeah, I, can see, I can see that being the match. 
Yeah. But I don't know if we're exactly going to get a working relationship. Well, I'm going to take it one step further because we had the announcement of OWE, Oriental Wrestling Entertainment. Now, I did a little bit of digging, and it turns out Dragon Gate and OWE are owned by the same company. Hmm. So now we have a working relationship with OWE. We have a working relationship with Pac. I don't think that it's too far-fetched that we see some Japanese Dragon Gate talent working AEW. Yeah, you know, I didn't know that they had the same owner. So you make that, you know, you make that correlation. I, I I'm going to sway differently, you know, and I tend to agree with you there. We're going to see some kind of maybe loose working relationship, uh, maybe where you got that middle that middle promotion uh, between you know between Oriental Wrestling Entertainment and Dragon Gate. But to me, it spoke to and Cody made mention of another thing in his philosophies that we've seen him, you know. His philosophies we've seen him share over the past couple months. Uh, one would you know involving the Dragon Gate champion or the the Dragon Gate championship. Cody was a firm believer that if you have a title, that you can take it anywhere with you. That a promotion yeah. should not handcuff you and pretend it does not exist. And he made that statement when he won the NWA World's Championship. He said, "You know what? I'm proud to be this champion. I'm going to take this to New Japan with me. I'm going to take this to any independent promotion. Hell, if I went back to WWE, I would take it there with me because I'm proud to represent this championship and any promotion that will have me should be proud that I'm a champion coming to that. Uh, that was one of the things that's where I kind of took there. And then even speaking back earlier in the show, when Cody was talking about, you know, how this is for the fans and they're not going to really kind of test their intelligence or try to push them a certain way. You can cheer for who you want. You can boo who you want, but they're just going to present themselves who they are and let the fans decide. And that's something that Cody's been, he's been talking about that for over a year. Yeah. And we've seen him work babyface one night and heel the next night and babyface the next night. We've seen that happen out of Cody, depending on the context and the audience. And that's really, that's life on the indies, you know, going from one promotion to another. I've seen it, you know, here in the, the promotions that I know here in Ohio that, you know, a battle on the border, the Cleveland people from MAGA, they'll come down here and they're the ultimate heels. But you go up there and watch, you know, some of them at their show and the next night and they're the babies, you know, it's just all about where you're at, what fan base you got. And, and you know, the stories, the dynamics that are going on within a promotion. I never knew that I wanted to see Hangman Page versus Neville, but my God, do I want to see Page versus Pac? Oh, and I love how everyone's just, you know, jumping to, oh, this is going to be for the for the All Elite Wrestling Championship. I don't think but, so. No, we're not getting that. No, this is going to be one hell of a match. And it just, it adds that extra flavor to it that you see Championship Gold involved. Uh, have you had a chance to check out Oriental Wrestling Entertainment as of yet? I, I did. Uh, you turned me on to, uh, you said to check out. They're on YouTube. They've got three episodes up, correct? Yeah, three or four. Uh, I was able to check one of those out and man, it is something different. I, I don't know exactly if it's my flavor. Uh, if I, I would order it, it off the menu, I don't <laughs> think I'd order it off the menu, but I did try it. Uh, but it is something different. And I think there's going to be a huge audience out there. That's going to gravitate towards it. I think that it is particularly going to be inviting to the Vegas audience because it's very, very showy. Uh, so for anybody who hasn't checked it out yet, this is the only way that I can begin to sum this thing up. All right. So it's, it's, you have a, a bit of Japanese strong style. You have a bit of Lucha Libre and then you puke on it with Chikara. 
That's that's kind of what I see going on inside what's of that, WWE. What's the big stage show out there in Vegas? The Circus uh, Cirque du Soleil. Yes, it, it's it's very similar to that inside of a wrestling ring. You know, it's you know what's funny that you mentioned there that the Vegas audience, you know, those the travelers there, the tourists, it's kind of what they're looking for. You know what would be freaking awesome? Right outside the MGM, a street show with those guys. Oh, that would be cool. A street performance. Like people, ooh, what's going on over there? Yeah, because what, this, what whole, is this it's all mixed together with Kung Fu. It's crazy what is going on here. Um, the other did, did person you, that I did thought you know that of. Ryan, Ryan has uh, Ryan K over at thegrillposition.com. He's got strong ties with those guys. The guys that are owning Very and nice. running that thing. Uh, like, I mean, like in his phone, like call them Very right nice. now. <laughs> Um, the other person I thought of watching that was our friend, Matthew Schaefer Gage, MSG, the copy paste guy over at Hameen media group. Uh, he and I had a great conversation one night about how he wishes pro wrestling was shot more cinematically. And I very much got that feeling from OWE, the camera work and the way that it's shot is a very, very different sort of presentation. I would like to see AEW incorporate some of that just so what feels like a different wrestling show from what ROH does or WWE does, New Japan does. Um, let's talk a little bit about the women's division. Obviously, we have Penelope Ford. We have Britt Baker. We have Brandi Rhodes. We know she's going to be competing as an in-ring talent. She also brought up bringing in some Japanese stars, perhaps some Australian stars. Uh, so, Rick, my brain immediately went to a stardom working relationship, and then I remembered stardom is working with Ring of Honor. And this whole thing with Ring of Honor and AEW seems like it's getting really really messy kind of behind the scenes we'll talk about that at some other time uh what do you think is there any like big women's talent that you want to see aew bring in at this point on the independent scene well i tell you what's funny over in a live discussion on homie media facebook um you know there were some people they were concerned well all the good talent's already signed up it's already in impact wrestling it's already in women of honor in wwe you know it's in all of their divisions and i kind of laughed at that you know, because in 24 hours, I could put together a not just a suitable women's division, one of the best women's divisions in the world, uh, because that's how much talent is still available out there. Hell, I could do it without making a phone call outside of the great state of Ohio. I mean, how much talent we have here. And there are some locals. I hope like Jocelyn Navarro and a Zoe Sky that are right here in Ohio. I get to see on the regular tremendous talents. I hope they get an opportunity, uh, you know, with a, a national platform like like all elite wrestling. And going over to the UK, you know, so many from the world of sport that are that are still there. I did see who was the one. Was it um, Piper Niven? Piper Niven has already come out and said that she will not be going to all eight. She's going to hold out for uh, for the NXT UK yeah. uh, once her deal expires there. I don't think that's a that's a big loss there. Uh, I do have since we are on air. I have to, to bust uh, to Joe. I have to bust Joe's balls from Turnbuckle Talk. Uh, please no jazzy. See, I think Jazzy would be a great signing, but I don't think that she's the draw that Joe seems to think that she is. I I, I don't know. I, I just really I don't see anything in her. Uh, um, my, let me ask you this. My fear here is that some other companies are going to get really, really hurt in this thing. You know, we've talked a lot about what does this mean for Ring of Honor? What does this mean for New Japan? What does this mean for Impact? What does this mean for Shimmer? What does this mean for Shine if they're going out and signing people to potentially exclusive contracts? Well, especially on, you know, the women's side. Yeah. Where it seems like, you know, when you your initial pay is going to be a, a lot better 
than what you're seeing from these other promotions, especially, you know, the all women's promotions. This thing is going to have, it's going to, you know, the ripple effect here is going to really shake and change the entire landscape of professional wrestling on so many levels. Uh, if these guys are able to, you know, to really implement some of these plans that, that they are hitting at or have in store, it, it holds true to change the world. Yeah. So, you know, and I don't, and I don't necessarily know that if all of these changes are good for the business. Yeah. That's, that's kind of my fear. Like, you know, making everybody actual employees. Yeah, that's great. But then you think about other companies like shine, like shimmer, like stardom that are, are much smaller companies. If they're forced to offer those same benefits in order to sign talent or to retain talent, it's going to cost a lot of independent promotions. Well, even, you know, let's go up, let's, let's raise the stock a little bit within you, within your company, Sinclair. Yeah. If, if the market in professional wrestling, the prices, the financials start driving upward, a company like Sinclair is just going to be like, you know what the hell with it. We yeah, don't need out. We're out. We can find, we can find other cheap programming to, to fill, you know, our syndicate spots. We're out. We'll see you. And goodbye ring of honor. Uh, you could very well see, you know, if it's, if these financials are, are driven so high, Goodbye, Impact Wrestling. Yeah, that's very true. Let's talk about uh, uh, the other elite. Let's talk about Marty Skrull and Kenny Omega. Um, Marty Skrull, this is very, very brief. It was just very, very funny. The fact that he tweeted out, what is AEW uh, when the rally was going on? And the one that I really popped for was a picture of Hangman and Pac staring each other down. And Marty replied, oh, so you already found a new British friend, huh? Dude, Marty was all over it. And going back to the first tweet, this what is this AEW? Just his facial expression. He's sitting there next to the screen. He's got that close up. Any if you haven't seen it, anyone out there, go to Twitter, look up Marty. It, first of all, if you're not following Marty, you don't know what you're missing anyway. I mean, it, on all levels, uh, this guy is total entertainment. So go check that out. It, it's it's great stuff. Even his fucking dog is entertaining. Winston is adorable. For God's sake, uh, let, let's talk about the Kenny Omega conundrum. Uh, everybody's talking about Kenny Omega. Everybody just, everybody call him your panties. All right. Number one, we ain't going to find out nothing for about three weeks. We ain't going to find out nothing till that contract with new Japan pro wrestling is up. If you were expecting Kenny Omega at that rally, I'm sorry that you were disappointed. You should have known better. He's not going to be in the Royal rumble. Go ahead and curb those expectations. Get that thought out of your brain. But Rick, I'm hearing more and more. It sounds like Kenny Omega is going to all elite wrestling. Well, I mean, he could be he could be rubble bound if if New Japan plays ball. We've seen them do that in the past. They did yeah, it with I, just, I, I don't see Harold doing that. That was you got to remember that was completely different management at that point. I, I understand that, but again, you know, as I as I mentioned to you last week, or we've talked about over the locker room, you know, Vince might uh, make a you know, hey Harold, how about a little check here or. How about I send you a, a town exchange or something like that? Uh, you know, we'll, we'll do a little bitch slap to this AEW stuff because I know you don't get along with them, and I got a feeling they're going to be a little uh, a little pest in my ear uh, as Pain well. In my ass. So we might see something like that. But all right, it, and I, I do agree with you. The more and more it sounds like he might be AEW bound. Let me throw a twist at you here. Kenny Kenny's got has earned a huge payday wherever he goes at this point. Yes. Uh, what was the WWE offer? Well, <laughs> like three point five. Yeah, that that that's what the I rumor. heard. But I, I I heard something even more ridiculous than that last night. 
Okay. Well, anyway, it, it's going to be a very significant number. He's yes. got he's got a huge payday ahead of himself. And let's say that WWE, if he can get him to a three year deal, would it be would it service everyone better if Kenny just went and took that and let AEW kind of fly without him for a little bit, uh, use that money as you know as they're getting off the ground themselves, use that use that elsewhere as an establishment instead of just relying on him, keeping their little network together where it seems that's a little selfish. They're all getting the big paydays there. Going back to what you mentioned before, is this um, a project of self of its selfishness uh, coming from those guys? So let Kenny go to WWE, get that exposure there, and then think, you know, three to five years. I, I have a feeling WWE would try to lock him down for that five year because we see that's what they're trying to do to Styles to prevent him from jumping somewhere like this. Mm-hmm. Lock him down for five years. Think about how huge it would be or could be in five years when he does show up. Yeah, I, I thought about that as well. Uh, where I, for storyline purposes, for well, financials. Yeah. My question is perception. Do, do they need him for double or nothing? I mean, you know, I look at this talent list and this talent list is really good, but if your main event is hangman page versus Pac, I don't think that's drawn 17,000 people. And I don't think that's your main event. You know, that, that's what everyone's jumping to there. They just gave us a program. You know, Hangman worked the middle of the show last time and was in one of the, the most memorable matches. It was in a marquee spot. We could get that with those two. Is Cody versus Jericho a big enough match to headline 17,000 people? Because, I mean, those are the two biggest names on the roster right now. Uh, again, you know, there's so much that we don't know. You know, uh, what, what was closed last time? We had a six-man closed last time. I mean, it got rushed and it was still incredible. Yeah. That's true. You know, I think it's not so much it's it's it doesn't go back so much now to what is your main event marquee. We even see that at WrestleMania and all that. We're not going back to the day where it's Hawk Hogan that sells all your tickets. I mean, this is your brand sells your tickets and what you do is what they did at all the last all in or you know, the, the only all in really to this point. It's a stacked card, top to bottom, match after match. There was no bathroom break in there. It was hard to get away. Do you remember, do you remember the match you ran out on? Cuz you did make a run. Uh, it was uh, the opening match. It was MJF and uh, Matt Cross. Yes. Yeah, and you came back and you were kicking yourself in the I ass. I was pissed. Yep. Yes. Yeah, god damn it. I need piss breaks. Uh, let's talk about WWE just a little bit here. WWE denies fans supporting AEW uh, access to the building on Tuesday. And then it seemed as though they had a change of heart and they let people in. They just couldn't wear AEW stuff. Uh, Rick, this is not a good look for the WWE, and I don't think that that this is really even necessary at this point. I mean, we we heard even if there was a thousand people and they all bought AEW T-shirts and went to SmackDown, that's still like what maybe a seventh or an eighth of your audience. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'd go that low because did you see that audience? Uh, the Emporium, the, the Tarp Emporium, Hamid was making a pretty good penny. Well, they I had know, the entire, but even the at, entire top and so and a, a good portion, maybe like a quarter of the bottom tarped off. I was but, gonna, yeah, but even eight thousand, that's half the arena. And I think, which to speak, what you're saying though, it, this isn't like the NWO is already established and you get a thousand NWO shirts showing up. Right. This is a, a small movement that just had their first little pep rally. Right, and you're gonna let this bother you. And but 
and I know this is like another another way, you know, let's vilify the WWE. They're worried. They're, they're scared. They're shaking. I think they would do this with anything. You know, if if you everyone think if I wore an impact wrestling t-shirt to a WWE event that they would make me turn it inside out before they let me into the building. If a couple hundred people showed up and was making a ruckus, maybe. Well, see, and that's the thing is we don't know, like, were these people chanting AEW? Were these people trying to cause a scene? Were they trying to, yeah. you they know, to hijack it, make it about them and their thing where it's taking away from the experience of families that are in attendance? You know, the footage that's out there is is being presented to us from those that were, were denied. So, you know, they're going to paint the picture that they're the ultimate victim. Yeah, I agree. And, and on the other side, you know, the staff. They might have just been, if you see any kind of disturbance, uh, people that are acting, that are rowdy, acting up, then yeah, then don't let them in. And they, and I have a feeling that some of these individuals, yeah, we're going a little over the top. They might have had a few brewskis in them, feeling kind of good. We're AEW. We're going to change the world. We're taking on the universe. So they're going to go over and let the WWE hear about it. Well, that ain't going to fly. You know, we've got good paying customers, families that want to come enjoy our show. We're not going to let this be about you at this time. I didn't think it was that big of a deal. I I didn't think it was that big of a deal either, but, you know, Mark's going to mark. Let's go ahead. Let's throw it over to our first interview of the day, Rick. This is an interview that I conducted the other day with Miss Abilene Maverick from the uh, Women of Wrestling WoW Superheroes, debuting on Access TV January 18th. That's a week from today, Huckleberry. It's going to be on right after New Japan Pro Wrestling. I'm really looking forward to this show. Have you had a chance to check out any of the episodes as of yet? Yes, you know, I've, I've been following up on it uh, for week. actually for weeks now. We've been teasing it. We've been teasing it for a while, this partnership that we have in the works with WOW. And, and now you're going to start to see it unfold. Uh, going forward, we're going to have some some great interviews with the talent. We're going to be covering the shows for you. And, hey, this is one of those cases. Everyone out there beating their chest, I love women's wrestling. I support the evolution. I, I'm a part of the movement. Well, this is a time where you put your money where your mouth is. Uh, and I hope that, you know, get on board, watch the programming, follow along with us here at the Hitting the Mark Pro Wrestling Podcast. We're going to have a lot of great content. It's a partnership I'm very excited for. Uh, I've, I've already had the opportunity to hear this interview. Jargo, uh, incredible job, man. So let's turn it over so everyone else can, uh, can catch the fever. A uh, little bit of an editor's note. I just want to say this is my favorite interview that I've ever done. I think this is the best interview that I've ever conducted. Miss Abilene Maverick from the women of women of wow. Jeez. You know, there's, there's, there's so many W's there. Uh, so coming out of the interview, we'll go ahead and go to the musical break. Huckleberry and I'll be right back for segment two. talk a little bit of WWE, some ring of honor. Oh, enjoy the interview. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be right back. What's up, peeps, freaks, and geeks? Welcome back inside the Locker Room Studios for this very special edition of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, powered by the Roar Network at thegorillaposition.com, presented by Hameen Media, and in association with LastWordOnProWrestling.com. My name is Jargo. I will be your host for the day, but ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show our guest. She is a former ACW American Joshi Champion former ACW TV champion for 378 days. She was your NWA World's Women's Champion. She is the governor's daughter, Miss Abilene Maverick. Miss Maverick, welcome to the show. Oh my goodness, after that intro, I can just leave. Thank you. 
<laughs> Flattery will get you everywhere, as I'm sure you are aware. Oh, Ms. it will. Miss Maverick. Especially with me. Before we jump into WOW and the big debut coming up on Access TV January 18th, let's go back to the beginning. We know that you grew up in Texas. You have quite the athletic background and were extremely close with your father. Tell us how you discovered your love of professional wrestling and who was on top at the time to kind of provide our listeners a little bit of context and time period. Okay, so I was not allowed to watch wrestling as a child. A uh, little fun fact there. My mom and my dad absolutely did not want their little girl, because I was the baby girl out of, out of three girls, and they did not want any of us, especially me, uh, watching something as brash as wrestling. Because at the time, this was in the 90s and early 2000s, uh, so we all know what era that was. and. Right. Uh, my family just didn't see it proper for a girl to be watching that. So I actually didn't. Um, in fact, my boyfriend at the time, um, I think I was 17, 18 years old, he snuck me on a date to go see a live wrestling event. And it just captivated me. I didn't have a wrestling background. I had a dance, softball, and powerlifting background. And I just absolutely fell in love with the theatrics of it with the strength of it. When I saw the women up there, I was just like, Oh my God, they are beautiful. They are strong. There are fireworks everywhere. This is amazing. I just thought it was the coolest thing. Um, somebody that I really honed in on. I mean, of course there were a plethora of women, but I really, really took a liking right away uh, to edge. He was one of my favorites just because he was so, um, you know, he was just so over the top and charismatic and he would win at any cost. And I loved his style. I loved his mannerisms. And I just thought, okay, this is somebody who doesn't take no for an answer. They throw all the caution to the wind. You know, he's very proud and he's strong. And I was like, this is so cool. I want to be like him. Um, once I really dove into watching wrestling, I actually started getting a little more into the grappling side of it and the strength side of it rather than the high-flying theatrical side of it, I guess you could say, uh, which worked well for me. Um, it both well for me because where I ended up training, I was the only female. So um, whenever I laid eyes on Dean Malenko, he was actually somebody I watched wrestle against um, Eddie Guerrero. Of course, this was on DVD. It wasn't live. Um, I just thought, wow, there's somebody who has the same stature I do. You know, not the tallest person, not the biggest person, but he knows that he is physically dominant and he uses that to his advantage and he outwits his partners or his opponents in several ways. And I just thought that was the coolest thing. So I really honed in on a lot of his style of wrestling um, just because I thought that was really cool because I'm deceptively strong. So I wanted to showcase that because my feet do not like to leave the ground very often. <laughs> um, but I'll tell you what, whenever somebody's flying, I know it's so, it's crazy. Um, but whenever somebody does and whenever they're flying around, I have the strength and the stamina and the whereabouts to bring them down. So that was my biggest uh, influence when I started. 
you broke into wrestling as far as I could find back in 2010. And by 2014, you were on top of the world, ranked number 12 on the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Top <laughs> 50 wrestlers in the world. You won the NWA Women's Championship on January 25th, 2014, becoming the youngest woman to ever hold the title. And you would go on to hold that title for 378 days. For being so early on to the business, you found great success very early on. Well, yes, because I realized that this is a dog-eat-dog world, and I felt like I had a lot to prove. Um, I don't come from a wrestling background. I didn't come in with a pedigree or with a name. I literally had to fight against what my parents wanted for me, and I knew that I had to do everything I could to stand out. And I feel like I've done very successful in doing that because I actually started training back in 2009, and I didn't have my first match until December of 2010. So I trained very hard for a very long time. And I had to go through an hour-long gauntlet just to graduate to even be allowed to step foot in the ring to wrestle. So, you know, I, I used all of that hardship and all of that time to put towards this because, I mean, at the end of the day, nobody is going to be, you know, your your advocate. You have to be your biggest advocate. if. Uh, something that I've always kind of told myself is, would I buy a ticket to see me? And if the answer is no, I need to work harder. I like that a lot. Which brings us to now, the WOW Superheroes, debuting January 18th at 9 p.m. on Access TV. A lot of people may not realize, Miss Maverick, while this is the first time that WOW is going to be on a national platform, the promotion has actually been around for a while now. I believe I read that you started with the company like six years ago. Is that accurate? Yes, that is accurate. I was actually brought in to be a tag team partner with Candice LeRae. Uh, she and I had our tryout match. It was against Santana Garrett and Amber O'Neill. They were the All-American Girls, and we were brought in totally unbeknownst to us. We, we didn't know what type of, you know, production this was going to be. We didn't know what kind of ring outfits we were wearing, nothing. We had no, like, preparation because it was very last minute. They kind of, I liked it, though. They kind of threw us through the wolves to see how we reacted naturally. Um, and, uh, you know, apparently I, I feel like I did a good enough job where they wanted to, you know, stake a claim to me and keep me around. So that was cool. <laughs> and, yeah, I've, I've been with them. And what's so cool is uh, whenever David announced this to us, um, that we were getting this access still, I broke down in tears. I mean, I was so happy because... You know, I knew that it was going to air in 2019. And there have been a lot of times with WOW that we have gotten false flags from companies and from, you know, uh, from networks and things that kind of gave us the rub, like, hey, we're going to bring you in. We're going to put you on air. And then they just they just dropped it because they didn't think it was the right timing. No one ever thought it was the right timing, you know. Um, and so what was really cool is that we have this team who fought to and nail to prove that, it was the right timing. We are ready for this. Um, little did we know, all of those no's and all of those shut doors were actually just helping us polish our product to be a thousand times better and stronger and to build our roster and our name um, and also build, you know, build up our fan base, which I think is why Access ended up being the perfect pick because New Japan Pro Wrestling is in the time spot that we are moving into. You know, we're going to be on the Friday night fights with them. 
So we are going to be on at 8 p.m. Central. They're going to be on at 9 p.m. Central. And anybody that knows anything about wrestling knows that New Japan is the one of the high, like highest recognized companies in the world, the highest Japanese you know recognized company in the world. And their fans are cult like, you know, they're they're diehard fans. And those are the types of fans that we have. We have the ones that are like who've been pushing with us since that beginning. You know, we have those fans who even have been pushing since this was Glow back when you know the company was called Glow and now it's Wow. Um, we have those diehard fans. And so I think this is like the perfect culmination of that. And especially for me, because I started training in 2009 and it is now 2019. It took me a decade to finally get a, you know, a TV spot that I, I feel so proud about. And I'm so excited because so many of us have worked so hard for this opportunity. And we finally have that chance to show everybody what a hidden gem we are and why we know that we're the best product on TV and being all women is just like the icing on top. I think it's like perfect timing with how women's wrestling has evolved. And it's a perfect marriage with new Japan pro wrestling because they don't have any women wrestling in the promotion. Right. Exactly. That was exactly what I was trying to explain to somebody because they were like, well, isn't that kind of odd? They're all men. And I'm like, okay, we're all women. You know, I was like, so that's the perfect dynamic. You have this all-women show leading into this all-men show. And I think it's so cool because even though we complement one, you know, one another, we complement each other um, in so many ways with how the you know, product is presented, but we're such a you know, dynamic difference in terms of what the roster is. So I think it's the perfect pair. Um, you know, and it's, it's not drawn out. It's not like a four-hour block where people are bored by the end of it or they don't have the time to watch it. We're a nicely packaged one hour event. And I actually touched note on this with somebody else that, um, you know, every episode I feel looks like a pay-per-view and that's, what's really cool about this too, because our lighting is over the top. You know, the presentation is over the top, the location, everything. Um, I'm not sure. Have you been able to watch some of the preview kind of leading into this? Have you watched, you know, any packages on this? I've watched all of season three. I've, nice. I've, I've watched okay, everything that's on you YouTube and everything on the website. I am current. I am ready to go for January 18th at 9 p.m. <laughs> Eastern Standard Time. Yes. Okay, perfect. So then you can be one of our advocates for this. You understand the production value is so great. And I think it's such a, a fresh breath of air for a lot of people. Yeah, especially for a promotion that is fairly new, at least inside of the the grander professional wrestling landscape. You know, when I watch a lot of independent wrestling companies, mm-hmm. you know, they're very dark, poorly lit arenas. You know, they may have a Tron. Yeah. They may not have anything whatsoever. And then you tune into WOW and you're just like, oh, wow, this is a real TV show. Okay. Yes, exactly. I think that's what's really cool about it is that we don't look like a ho-hum company. We don't look like a flash in the pan because we're not. And uh, I think that's what's really cool is because, you know, we have this lineage with Glow. And I know a lot of people may not realize that going into this, but once they start watching WOW, they're going to be like, oh, it's going to click for them. They're going to be like, now I get it. This is the modern day, more physical, more athletic version of I would kind of feel like the mother company. That's kind of what it feels like. It's like the mother company of WOW. Um, you know, because I mean, David McClain created both. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's definitely got that touch and that flair of glow. Um, but you're going to also appeal to like those new Japan wrestling fans who actually want to see like the brute force. Like they want to see the, obviously the 
you know, theatrics of it and the beauty of it, um, you know, paraded around, but they also want to see us be the athletes that we are. And that's what's so cool. We have best of both worlds. Yep, absolutely. Very well said. Now, when you debuted in WoW, you had a smile on your face and this cheery disposition, very Candice LeRae-like. However, in some of the more recent episodes, you've taken a bit more of a, shall we say, sarcastic tone. Now, leaving some of your fellow superheroes unsure how to interpret what is going on with you, what should our listeners be looking forward to when this season kicks off out of Abilene Maverick? So the way I feel it works is I am, first off, deceptively strong. A lot of people see me and they're going to think, oh, she's glitz and glammed up. She's blonde, tan, you know, she's a mama's girl and everything's handed to her. But they don't understand that I'm an opportunistic person, that I don't mind playing mind games with my opponent. Because at the end of the day, like I said, with my, you know, my previous uh, influences in wrestling, that is what wrestling is all about. It's about getting inside of people's heads uh, mentally and then attacking physically. So however they perceive me is completely up to them. Either way, I'm going to walk out the winner. I wanted to ask you about a couple of your fellow talents before we let you go here um, and kind of bring this interview a little bit mm-hmm. full circle. There's two talents on the wild roster that have gotten the better of you in the past. First, let's start with current champion Santana Garrett whom defeated you to take your NWA women's championship from you back in 2014 do you have any messages for the champion going into the access tv premiere so I mean at the end of the day there can be opportunities that maybe I slip up and allow someone to take um but in this go around I think that everyone is gunning for that gold I think that I deserve it of course because I have been working so hard scratching to the nail to get to this spot and to, to stay on the roster. That's another thing. I have never been champion at WOW. I have never held gold, and yet I'm the most talked about person on this roster. So that says a lot. Yes, I'm gunning for it, but at the end of the day, I don't have to control the crowd and I don't have to control my opponent or take control of this company by being a champion. All I have to do is just walk in the room and I command everyone's attention. So, yes, I will gun for that gold, but I hope she's aware that I don't even need that to be better than her. Secondly, and a bit more recently, I have to talk to you about this because this just sounds incredible. You had the first women's match to ever be televised in China against Miss Tessa Blanchard. Now, of course, we're seeing Tessa is making her way into the WoW superhero world. Tell us a little bit about that experience, and I'm sure that you were just elated to see Tessa coming to WoW so you can uh, maybe get a little bit of retribution here. Oh, absolutely. I think that Tessa being added on to this roster is exactly why they keep um, adding women like myself who have the wrestling background um, in her case, she has wrestling background, but she also has a pedigree to bring to this company. And there are a lot of people who don't have that. There are a lot of people who don't have, you know, a father, a stepfather, a grandfather who have all been in this business and been successful, like highly successful in this business. Of course, she has a lot to live up to, but I think she's doing a very good job at that. Um, I was over the moon, and I think that I speak for her as well. Uh, whenever we were the first women to wrestle live and televised in China, because 
no one can take that from you. Whereas, yes, I was the youngest and one of the longest reigns in NWA history as champion, but there could be somebody who comes along and takes that from me, but no one can ever take being the first of anything. And we were the first. And I think that that was a huge step for women's wrestling because even then at that time, you know, we were still in that position where women's wrestling wasn't taken as seriously as it is now. So the fact that we were even given that opportunity and we capitalized on it, I think is enough in itself. I, I mean, it was just, it was groundbreaking. And now you see people wrestling in China left and right. And she and I, I really feel we're at the forefront of breaking that ceiling for people to come in and, and wrestle there regularly. In fact, I've even made a return to China this year, you know, so that's what's so cool is, you know, whenever you get to be a part of something like that, where you're breaking these glass ceilings and you're just elevating the sport that much more. And the fact that no one can take that title from you is just fantastic because, you know, as you know, championships can come and go, but when you're making history, no one can take it from you. Do you realize that you're making history inside of the moment? I do. Um, I think that's, what's so crazy um, with this, you know, it's funny because I got very emotional one day. I was actually, um, my my spouse was driving and I was just telling him about the announcement. I was telling him, you know, can you believe this? I was like, I have been working 10 years to see an all-women's promotion be televised. Not just a one-off, not just a gimmick, not just something to push the numbers. This is the real deal. We are our own organization. We are our own company. And we are the only ones and the first ones to do this, to be a legitimate wrestling company, all female, televised weekly, and to run against one of the largest companies, you know, not against, but with, I guess you could say, with New Japan. Um, but we are kind of vying for that spot as well, you know, fighting against whether or not their fans accept us. And I just told him, you know, I, I started crying and I was like, I used to have to beg to be on shows. I wouldn't even get paid. I wouldn't even get a second look. People would literally just see me as a girl or, you know, a slideshow event or just a ballet. And I wouldn't get paid 10 bucks to be on a show. And now I make a living doing this. And I'm a part of the first ever weekly televised all women's company. And that's just like... It's unbelievable. It's, it's still like even saying it out loud right now is just the craziest thing ever, you know? Where will you be watching the premiere from? Oh my gosh. So that's another thing that hit home. Um, my, you were, you spoke of my, me and my dad being very close. I was a little bit of a tomboy. My brother and my dad were my best friends. My two older sisters were very close to my mom. And um, my dad passed away whenever I was 18, whenever I was first wanting to become a wrestler. And he was the only person that said, you should go for this, you know, because he was like, I'm 52 years old. Um, I never really took the time to see the world. And I really think that you should do this because this will be your opportunity to see the world. And he said, and of course, whenever you become this famous wrestler and you're on TV and you're traveling the world, I'm going to travel with you and I'm going to see these places with you and I'm going to explore the world with you. And it was right then that I was so motivated to do this. Uh, weeks later, he died unexpectedly. And that was that huge fire that lit me. Um, and during that time, like after he passed, I actually became very close to my grandfather. Um, you know, he kind of took on that role. I was only 18 years old, you know, mind you. So he kind of took on that role as my dad, 
which was fantastic. And to this day, he is still my best friend. And I see him almost every single day. <laughs> in fact, I'm seeing him later on today. Um, speaking of which, and the thing is, is that over the time of wrestling, he has been bound. Um, you know, he's been bound to a walker. He can't get around very easily. Mind you, he's a very tall man. He's like six four, six five. Um, so it's very hard for him to get around, and he can't travel anymore, and he can't come to see me wrestle. And I am going to be at his house, sitting there in his living room, watching the television with him, watching Access, um, and he's finally going to be able to see me wrestle, which is, like, the culmination of everything. Like, if nothing else happens, if I literally die the next day, I can die happy because um, my dad never got to see me, and I wanted him to so badly with everything in me. I wanted him to see me. Um, and then that, that motivation and that love transferred over to my grandfather. And I just wanted nothing more than to make him proud. And finally, 10 years later, <laughs> he can see me wrestle and he can see alive on television. Miss Maverick, we'd like to thank you very, very much for joining us today. Why don't you tell the peeps, the freaks and the geeks how to keep up with yourself and the wow superheroes. Oh my gosh. So we have taken over. Literally, I did a takeover for the Wow Superheroes Instagram. It was so much fun. If you go there, it's a different Wow Superhero taking over every single day. You get to know them personally. Uh, we're doing lives. We're doing follows for follows. So go over to Wow Superheroes. That's W-O-W Superheroes over on Instagram. We're also on Facebook. We're also on Twitter. And then if you search Wow underscore Aveline, a-B-I-L-E-N-E. -E. That's wow underscore Abilene on Twitter. I do a follow for follow. And then also on Instagram, I'm actually putting out some new content today. So hopefully, well, every day. So literally you could air this every single day and that's still the answer. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we're getting revved up and ready to go. And then also if you go to wowe, W-O-W-E dot com. That's wowentertainment.com. You can see all of the previous uh, seasons, kind of like you were saying, you're caught up. You've seen everything. You know what you're doing. You know what we're doing. You're, you know, you're, you're totally up to date. Everyone else can do that as well. It's wowe.com. You can see all the previous seasons, get tickets, and see all of the upcoming uh, events. Miss Maverick, wow. thank you so much for joining us today, and best of luck going into 2019 and the thank deal you. on Access TV. Yes, thank you so much. Some people are a lot like clouds, you know. Cause life's so much brighter when they go. You rained on my heart for far too long. Couldn't see the thunder for the storm. Because I cut my teeth and bit my tongue. Till my mouth was dripping blood. But I never dished a dirt, just held my breath. While you drag me through the mud I don't know why I tried to save you Cause I can't save you from yourself When all you give a shit about Is everybody else And you just can't quit
know that I'm not like clouds, you know Cause life's so much brighter when they go And I spend too long in a place I don't belong I couldn't see the thunder for the storm Medicine by Bring Me the Horizon. That's right. Dose of your own medicine. That's what the WWE is getting right now from AEW. Let's uh, let's go ahead. Let's talk about some WWE this week because Huckleberry, you actually wanted to talk some WWE this week. I even went out of my way. I watched SmackDown. I'll be damned if I was watching Raw, but I did watch SmackDown. I actually thought SmackDown was a pretty good show this week, uh, but not so much in the ratings. Not so much. Uh, Raw did a 2.324 million viewers this week up against the college football playoff. That only drew 24.3 million viewers, but Rick, oh, had, it. yeah, only 24.3. Well, Hey, and again, that, that was the second lowest rated uh, college football or playoff championship uh, that we've seen. And how long has, it, has that been around five years? Yeah. Uh, and the other thing that I thought was interesting is Raw actually dropped 0.17 in the ratings compared to last year's number where they were also up against the college football playoff. So if you want to compare apples and apples, that's that's more the so the comparison I'm going for. The bigger news, though, SmackDown sucked. The, the rating for SmackDown, I don't even have it in front of me, but it was like a 1.63. They're like right back to where they were. SmackDown hasn't wow. improved at all. What, what would you chalk that up to, Jargo? I have no idea. 
because SmackDown is by far the better show. And and here's the thing that's so alarming is they were advertising that women's triple threat to see who was going to face Asuka at the Royal Rumble. That was your advertised main event and people just didn't tune in to watch it. Yeah, yeah, and you're right. I mean, they gave us a whole week of advertising for that thing. Yeah. And the actual show itself was great, you know. I I liked the I liked the, the tag with Almas and, and Joe. Uh, I thought that was a, a fun little match. Uh, the opening segment with Daniel Bryan is receiving tremendous praise. I, I thought it maybe missed a little bit to me. I think I was a little too scripted for me. Uh, where you know th- the interaction with the fans just standing there, just waiting for you know their spot. But you know, I, I get the the message of it. Daniel Bryan is still he's he's executing perfectly. Is that little twerp uh, that you just love to hate? Uh, all in all, it was a good show. But you said you know the rating dropped there. Do you think maybe? When you get to when we, we kind of think about the for individuals that would be invested in professional wrestling, you know, you're more sports minded. You've got the holiday, you got the ball season, everything tied together. It all kind of ends with that championship game. So was it maybe the sign off? OK, finally, the season's over. I'm going to relax and pull back and do something else. So, so SmackDown just fell off the radar. Well, the other thing that SmackDown was up against was Donald J. Trump. Oh, yes, I forgot we had all the political, the the Republicans and the Democrats were squaring off as the true main event uh, of the evening. But here's here's the only problem with that theory. That didn't start until the second hour of SmackDown started and nobody tuned in for the first hour either. Well, but you're, you're not just looking at Trump himself. I'd love to see what Fox's, you know, what Fox CNN you know, what all those other news outlets, what numbers they were pulling in the hype, the pre-show where you're setting up all, you know, the shit talk that went back and forth. I mean, you, you want to talk about a true blood feud right now. Those two sides cannot come together on anything and it's just getting more heated by the moment. So that definitely that's going to sway anything over going up against a huge sports program, a, a hangover from the holidays, anything like that, or just you know ready to turn the page for 2019. They're up against just, you know, a political throwdown and you're not going to win that. You know what I think we need to do as far as the the Republicans and the Democrats go? Uh, this is this is my solution to the entire thing. I want to get one of those uh, interrogation rooms, you know, where they lock up the criminals and they got the two sided glass and it's mirrored so you can stand in there and watch and, and the criminals can't see you. I, I think I, that's called Congress. Yeah, well, I want to I want to get all of them together and I want to put them in a, around a circular room and inside of the room we're going to put 300 preschoolers and one fire truck. And we're going to watch and see what happens with that one fire truck and 300 preschoolers. And then we're going to tell Congress that's how you look to the rest of the world. Okay, I'm I'm going to I'm going to put I'm going to piggyback on what you said there. I like the round room. We're going to get one of those whip the world things you see at the carnival. And we're going to lock them all in there, and the fucker's not going to stop until they come to some kind of agreement on something. You guys want out of this? Until you start puking all over each other? This thing ain't stopping. It's only going to intensify until you, until you come up with something. The alien should just wipe us all out. Let's talk about Monday Night Raw. Monday Night Raw actually gets off to a hot start this week. I actually did like the open. I enjoyed the whole Rollins and Lashley hot start. Uh, then we cut away to John Cena. He comes out and does his thing. Drew McIntyre comes out and cuts one hell of a promo. I thought Drew's promo was absolutely fantastic. That leads into the six-man tag with, with Lashley and Rollins coming back out and then Balor. 
I really enjoyed the opening to Monday Night Raw. I'm not sure I was real big on the tag match running all of like what three segments. I thought that went entirely every too long. everything took about 45 minutes. Yeah, I thought it went entirely too long, but I actually thought that they had a pretty good game plan for starting the show hot. Well, you know, you've got that they want to come in hot on this thing because you you essentially you have a half hour before kickoff, and I guess they were trying to pace themselves against uh, you know the football game that that starts airing at eight. You got about a half hour before kick after all the festivities, the pageantry and all that. So they come in hot again, though. I think I don't like I didn't like the structure of the show against the college football thing. And I think going in, you have to be able to call this show on a fly. You know, if you're expecting this thing to be, I think you go in thinking this could be a closely contested game, you know, not the blowout that we saw. So you're going to have to do some things to really entice people to keep flipping back over to you. I would have loved to seen a great brawl between all six of these individuals have the same open, but move the match, move the match to later in the evening, move the match to that transition from hour two to three as you know, that secondary main event. But then again, you know, in retrospect, looking back, it fits where it did because it set up that main event for you. Okay. Now here's where they lost me was the setup for the main event. So after the six man tag, Right. You got John Cena and Finn Balor and Seth Rollins, and they're all standing in the ring. And all of a sudden, for no reason whatsoever, on the Titantron comes a conversation between Triple H, Sasha and Bailey. Why was that put on the Titantron? No, that goes back to last week where, you know, where Seth is he's feeling slighted and it's. Right. It's more so. I, I, more I understand. So, you know, Triple that. H said, hey, man, if you want opportunity, you got to reach down deep in you and you got to seize it. So the reason you throw that up there, that could be Triple H messing with him. Like, you know what, dude? I wouldn't even pay attention to you. It just made no sense. Like, I, you could have done exactly the same thing. Just had Seth Rollins go storming backstage looking for Triple H to go and say, okay, I want Ambrose tonight. I already proved it. I, think- I was like, why would the director take that shot? There's no reason for the director to take no. that. Triple H sets it up on purpose because he wants to you know, ignite that fire. That's why he hit him in that chest and said, welcome back. Like, I got to you, man. I got you. Just, I got that. That was the logic behind it. It just now, it, seemed I could so. I can it, enjoy it all that much. It, it might have been more effectful, you know, if Rollins took that initial. You know, they're celebrating and Rollins kind of throws his hands down and says, you know what, guys, I got something to do. He storms in the back. There we see Triple H sitting there talking to Sasha and Bailey, and he and then and then Seth is like, "Did you just see what I did up there? Did you just see what I did? I just pinned the Intercontinental Champ." And Triple H is like, "Oh, I missed it. That was in a conversation here with uh, with Bailey and Sasha." I, in I totally case you can't tell, I'm a little busy, right? Trying then to run a multi-billion-dollar company. Then that really fires up. Then that fires up Seth. Seth grabs him by the collar and says, listen here, you son of a bitch. Go watch the replay. I don't care if you watch it or not. I want him tonight. I demand it. I'll fill you in. I just pinned his ass. Not only did I pin his ass, I just stomped his head through the mat. Like You could have gone both ways. I see their logic. I think it would have been more, uh, you know, more impactful if they just had Seth take it upon himself instead of having to be manipulated again by the puppeteer. What did you think of Seth versus Dean to close out the show? I mean, I felt like the finish to that match was forecasted as soon as Hunter said falls count anywhere. Right. 
and even going back in my head, I knew like, oh, this is going to be Lashley. I, and I was, but I threw it out there, you know, over on Facebook and Hami Media Discussion Group, live discussion. Thank you, Acer. Does a tremendous job with all those each and every week, each and every show. You know, I threw it out there, you know, give me something different. Give me something to get excited for. If the rumors are true that they're set on putting Lars on Raw, I was expecting him in that spot. Speaking of Lars on Raw, how about EC3 debuting on main event? I didn't put too much stock in that. It, it, no, and I guess the rumors too now that it wasn't actually a main event. It wasn't filmed for main event. It just had uh, graphics for it. Oh, I think okay. It so more, it was a true dark match? Yes. That's what I'm seeing more and more now, that it was a true dark match. Okay, that makes me feel very, very differently about the entire situation. Okay, and it, even if, let's say it wasn't though. Is it that upsetting that he was on main event? Because it's not like that thing's going to air this week. Uh, I think they don't they keep those some of those things in the can for a little bit. As far as I'm concerned, if you are appearing on main event, you are a lower third of the card talent. And that's what leads me to believe that it was actually a war. And I am I am hearing that it was a dark match, and it leads me to believe that they were going to keep him away from it, but. It, to me, it was, hey, let's run him out there. Let's see what kind of reaction he gets from the general universe here. And let's see how the transition from the NXT ring to the you know the red ring is going to play out. Uh, my, I have a much bigger issue with the fact that he was 100% babyface. Uh, well, again, you know, they might, they might just be working that. And again, he, he went out there with the Raw crew. That might be another swerve that when he actually does debut, we're going to see him on the blue brand. He has to be a heel. Wherever he is, he needs at least a year and a half as a heel before you ever even think about turning EC3 babyface. What's up with that stupid-ass vignette? Oh, the Superman thing? No, like I'm reading it like he's like entertainment at a a bachelorette or maybe uh, an overpriced bachelor party. I read it as Clark Kent. In a hotel room? Well, you got a phone booth that EC3 can go change in? When's the last time you saw a fucking phone booth? All right. Well, have him walk down the street and rip off his shirt then like Superman changes. I don't see Superman popping into hotel rooms. Speaking of Superman popping into hotel rooms, let's talk about Hulk Hogan. Um, <clears throat> that was a great segue. I, you know what? I have, I have been waiting for this one. I, I've been waiting to hear your take on this. This is receiving praise everywhere. Everywhere, I've got some general issues overall with how that this how they handled this thing. I, I thought you know in the moment it was great. I loved the video package. Uh, I wish they would have showed you know some more AWA, some more WCW stuff. You know everything was like his career just wasn't in that short little WWF bubble. There was so much more than that, and I almost wish that that they would have spread this out throughout the show. Give me a reason to keep tuning in for Mean Gene moments, especially against. You know, competition like the football game, just don't cram it into one segment. But back to you, Jargo. Hogan getting tons of praise, and we know uh, your your love and fascination with the great Hulkster. So lay it on me, brother. Racist, sexist Hulk Hogan. Uh, number one, where was the pop? That was a very un-Hogan-like pop to me. Like, I, I, I didn't see the place just come unglued in Hulkamania, brother. Like, it, it didn't it didn't it really feel like a it Hogan. It wasn't really about Hogan, though. It would quickly become all about Hogan. Uh, I thought that they did a very good job of trying to separate Hulk Hogan from the character of Hulk Hogan. 
I, I thought they did a very good job of making that perfectly clear that I'm out here in character because that's how mean Gene would want me to be. Uh, I very much enjoyed the video package. I thought the video package was great. Um, I could have done sure, entirely okay. without everything that happened after the video package. I thought Hogan kind of went and made it all about Hogan, which is kind of what I expected Hogan to do. However, I am going to do something that you never thought that you would hear me do, Rick, and I'm going to praise Hulk Hogan. I'm going to praise Hulk Hogan. I am a bigger Hulk Hogan fan today than I was yesterday. Actually, two days ago now. And your, your Hogan FQI is raising. My Hogan FQI is raising. And you know why? Because Hulk Hogan is not nearly as bad as I thought he is. No, no, he's still a terrible human being. I mean, as a professional wrestler. You see, I've been reading this book called Lion's Pride by Chris Charlton. He uh, does the, the translations for New Japan Pro Wrestling. He wrote a book called Lion's Pride, and it's all about the history of New Japan Pro Wrestling. And I finally made it to the part where they're talking about Hulk Hogan. And he starts talking about how Hulk Hogan was actually a very technical wrestler when he worked for New Japan. And I just, I couldn't believe it on any plane of existence that Hulk Hogan was ever a technician inside of the ring. So I went back and I looked up the match, Hulk Hogan versus Antonio Inoki. It goes down in Japan, Hogan playing the big badass foreign heel. He's still got a full head of hair, if that tells you how old this freaking match is. But it was fantastic, Rick. It was incredible seeing a young Hogan actually like go out and work a professional wrestling match that wasn't a big boot and a leg drop. I can't believe you just got turned on to that, man. I, I've seen that match years and years ago. I'm, and just, I'm not Hogan, a Hogan guy. It, it was just it was a situation of when you came to the WWF, you didn't have to work those styles. I've just you know, never it, been a Hogan guy. I had no desire to go back and look at his old history in New Japan Pro Wrestling because I figured it was the same old fucking Hogan. No, I just it's it's always even go back to AWA. He had to wrestle there. You, you know what it struck me as? Like Bockwinkle, man. He had to get in there and wrestle with him. You know it's what's funny? WWF. It was more about the entertainment aspect. What's hilarious about Hulk Hogan? And I was thinking back to the early days of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast when you would complain about the Young Bucks because you had never really seen the Young Bucks work in Japan and you had a whole new respect for the Young Bucks once you saw them work Wrestle Kingdom and you were like, holy shit, these guys can actually work. Hulk Hogan and the Young Bucks, pretty much the same person. Yeah, that one's going to make 8-Track Black's next hilarious video. Let's uh, let's talk about uh, Brock Lesnar, Paul Heyman, and Braun Strowman and the awkward, terrible segment that was. Uh, God, how bad was this? Well, how fucking bad was this? This is my question to you because you were watching it in real time. All right. The only thing I could think of while I was watching this, were they killing time for halftime to hit? Is that why it was yeah. so long and drawn I, I out and awkward? They were they were kind of drawing it out because it's hard, you know, when you are you're trying to gauge against a football game. There, hey, thirty seconds might turn into 15 five minutes. minutes. You betcha. Yeah. So uh, you know, at this point, you got to move forward because you sacrificed your main event program. You know, your top program for the Universal Championship. And again, we know we weren't really expecting much, but even in it itself, I mean, just the weird pauses and all that taking away from it. Overall, though, you know, Brock comes out and then he leaves and, and Braun's just standing there and then he has to pick up the mic. That's not Braun Strowman. That's not who the monster is. The monster would go right after him. He's right there in your grasp. I mean, this goes back to when he, 
you know, he's walking around with that briefcase. Oh, I, I, I'm not even going to bother with uh, with Brock Lesnar. I got. I'm worried about uh, Baron Corbin right now. No, no, you're not. I mean, who? What kind of logic is this? Do you I mean, remember? They continue. They continue time after time to drop the ball with Braun Strowman. Do you remember months ago? And I mean, we got to be going back to like June. And I was like, they're going to turn on Braun Strowman. This is a limited shelf life. This is not going to last forever. They have killed Braun Strowman. Whatever they had with Braun Strowman, it's might as well be dead. Well, at this point, it's not that the fans don't want to be there with him. It's creative. They've taken they've taken their foot off the gas. This isn't the guy that's flipping over ambulances, that murdering Roman Reigns, that's pulling scaffolding down onto the, you know, the other monsters. Now he's standing there like a pathetic bitch playing in the Brock Lesnar's game. This isn't a cha- this isn't a challenger on the chase, you know, looking for the kill that he's bloodthirsty, he wants that championship. No, now he's just another fucking mark. He ain't winning that match at the Rumble. Hey, and I got a feeling you want to talk about a, a final coffin, you know, a nail in the coffin. That's going to do what it. Do you, what do you do with him? You know what I think I do with Braun Strowman? I think I turn him into Andre. I think I just, I save him for very rare special appearances. I bring him in as a special attraction. He can work house shows. You can go see him in Sheboygan, Wisconsin on a Wednesday night. But He's a larger than life guy. But as far as on Monday Night Raw, if I see Braun Strowman once every six weeks, I'm good. I think you're right. You know, less is more. He's that special attraction, you know, kind of, you know, running opposite of, of Brock. You know, don't have him on the shows together. Every couple weeks, once a month or so, every five, six weeks, you're going to have Braun make an appearance uh, for the big events. You're seeing more frequently, like leading into a, a summer slam or something where he's going to work a program or something. You have somebody like Drew McIntyre who's just going through and murdering baby faces and calling everybody out. And one night he's standing in the ring and he says, anybody in the back, you want a piece? Go ahead. Come on out and get some. And then the brawn music hits and you get that shot of Drew McIntyre like, oh, shit, I just put my you've got you, in you know, my you're running. You're running a fine line with him now where I like how you said you make him more into an Andre. You want to keep him in that area before he becomes a big show. Yeah, because he's turned how many times this year or last year, I guess now. Um, what do you think is the main event of WrestleMania? I, Ooh, I, I, and I, I even, even better, even better than, hey, because he looks phenomenal. Let's go bring in Haku and have him tag team with Braun Strowman. You want to make him an Andre? My money's on Haku when that tag team splits up. Uh, what is going to be the main event of WrestleMania, Rick. Now, I obviously, you know, we've got this whole women's conundrum and all that going on, and we all agree that's going to be a main event. But I don't think Brock Lesnar is losing the Universal Championship at the Royal Rumble. I think at the Royal Rumble or at WrestleMania, it's going to be Seth Rollins versus Brock Lesnar for the Championship of the Universe. I don't have a problem with either one. I still think they're going to, if they go the triple threat, I think that could main event. I don't have a problem with either one. Now let's talk. Let's talk real talk. Which one is the better one? You know, it, they're you know they're all behind this women's thing. Even if they give that the nod simply to you know to feed their own beast that they've created, I don't know if it's more of an attraction and draw to the fans than Seth Rollins versus Brock Lesnar. I, I think right now, if they if they continue to properly build towards that, you know, and really, you know, really catapult towards that at the Royal Rumble. 
I think that could be one of the hotter programs going into WrestleMania that we've seen in some time. Well, let's talk a little bit about the women, um, because obviously that's going to directly impact what is the actual main event of WrestleMania. And that's because we assume Ronda Rousey is going to be part of the equation on Monday night. Raw, we get Ronda Rousey saying that she wants to fight Sasha Banks at the Royal Rumble. Now, I have a lot of issues with this. You want uh, to talk about terrible segments. Uh, well, number one, uh, let's talk a little bit about Alexa Bliss because they did Alexa Bliss absolutely zero favors here. If, if she this moment of Bliss thing is ever going to take off, this was not the way to launch it. Why are we doing Alexa Bliss in interview segments anyway? Isn't she cleared to wrestle? See, I think that, man, they that's up in the air. I'm, I'm seeing conflicting reports everywhere that she's been, you know, she can get the training and all that. She can get the training. I don't know if she's fully cleared for entering action. Even if she is, I mean, what is there for her to do right now? I, I was kind of excited for the possibility of this moment of bliss. And, and I, the way they set this thing up in the early going, I like the way she put it over last week, the promo. She took that cheap shot at, at the Piper's pit. You know, told Ronda, hey, you better dress up. This is a nicer show. It's not some pit, you know. And, and they do nice that nice touch. pro. They do the nice promo package. I like that the set was up on the stage and had a different feel than what they usually just say. Let's throw some lawn chairs in the middle of the ring and throw out a rug and call it. Hey, this is our set. It had a it had a uniqueness to it. And then and then she comes out. She does a great you know great opening monologue there. And then within like moments, it's it unravels. It's over with. It's like an afterthought. I mean, this if you're going to do an extended talk segment, this should have been it. And I, I think in a lot of this too, man, Rhonda seemed to get lost early in this thing. Maybe that yeah. she forgot like her direction, what was going on. And she really held on to that cheesy grin for quite a bit. And it should have been something that bliss. It's one of her, it's one of her, her attribute, her most positive attributes is she can kind of freelance like that. She should have jumped in and tried to, you know, facilitate this thing to keep it moving along. It was so awkward with that cheesy smile. And then it seemed that it was like, she was like, oh shit, I got to hurry up and get to Sasha Banks just crammed in here. Yeah. Uh, Nia Jax versus Sasha Banks was pretty awful. Um, I'm not sure how much of that I necessarily put on Sasha Banks. I mean, obviously there, everybody's talking about that one hurricane Rana spot <laughs> on God, the floor. That is driving me crazy. That, you know, aside from these idiots on social media that can't find their own information. And this is probably right up there this week. People, oh, that was so ugly. She's so dangerous. I, that's the way the spot was supposed to look, people. They weren't going to go through with Ahura Karana off the apron with Nia Jax. That would have been even more moronic and more dangerous than what they had there. The point of it was it's Sasha, reckless Sasha. You know, they put would put her as reckless as uh, brave and, and brass Sasha doing whatever it takes to try to get the job done against the monster Nia, and she just didn't have enough. So it was supposed to look like a vicious bump onto the floor. And then in return, she did just a little bit of enough to send Nia into the mat to give her a little bit of a breather there. Yeah, I, I, I'm just I'm Nia Jax in the ring just does absolutely nothing for me. And Sasha is really good in the ring, but she can't carry somebody who's not really good in the ring to a good match. That's kind of the problem. I think there's only about four oh. women inside of the company that Sasha Banks can work with. Well, Sasha can wrestle up with anybody. Anyone that's, you know, that has, is that superior talent, Sasha's going to, she can rise to the occasion, but she's not going to elevate people to her level. Yep. Uh, and it's, it's something you're going to get with her. My biggest concern with this match was the interaction with Bailey. If, if you're back 
to be in best friends? Where's your concern for your friend's health and well-being? I mean, Sasha's getting dominated. I understand this is for a women's championship, but without even any concern, Bailey scoops her up and throws her back in the ring for, you know, more of a, an ass kicking. I mean, at least have some concern. Like, are you sure you want to do this? And then Sasha's like, I have to, I ha-, you know, have Sasha, I have to, I can't stop. Okay. I've got you. We're going to do this together. But it's like out of nowhere, Bailey's like, okay, I'm just going to throw you back in. Okay. So Rick, let's uh, come out with this week's unpopular opinion of the day. Uh, Ronda Rousey takes on Sasha Banks at the Royal Rumble. Rick, we got this whole thing wrong. The whole thing is all fucked up. Ronda Rousey is going to lose that title. Sasha Banks is going to become your new women's champion going towards WrestleMania. And that's how we're going to get to this whole Becky Lynch, Ronda Rousey, Charlotte Flair situation. Uh, what happened at TLC? How did Asuka win that title? Ronda Rousey came out and interfered in the match, right? I'm guessing at some point during this match, Becky Lynch is going to come out and cost Ronda Rousey the Raw Women's Championship, and Sasha Banks is going to win this title. Hmm, interesting. And which makes it even more interesting. I love how you're going back. You're referencing, you know, we've got some heat. Uh, could we see both Charlotte and Becky get involved in this thing? Absolutely, you could. And they're out there and they're helping their fellow horsewoman, Sasha Banks. It, adv- it advances every story inside of the narrative. We were wondering. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what's a little crazy here. You know, we were all looking at a, a roundabout way to how we get to this horsewoman thing. How do you reignite them or reunite, you know, the, the wrestling version? How do you bring up, you know, the just so different persona? Uh, the MMA version, how different they are right now. You talk about a roundabout way. You might be onto something here, Jargo. And you know, it, what's going to be even more interesting though, is the card structure. I've also been thinking, you know, in new Japan pro wrestling, we've talked a lot about how they're elevating Jay white so fast. I kind of feel like Rousey's in a little bit of that same situation, right? She's been pushed to the moon. Jay white. We're wondering, you know, it's been a year. When's he going to get his comeuppance? When's he going to get his comeuppance? When's Rousey going to get screwed? She's been with the company for almost a year now. She hasn't even lost a match yet, whether it be by hook or by crook. Well, and, and look at every situation. It's always been a numbers game against her. Yep. It's about and in this, time. In this last time, you know, you really couldn't come up with two bigger numbers than, than Naya and Tamina. You know, those were her two biggest obstacles that, that she's had to face. And she's overcome those. So what about now the best two would be Charlotte and Becky. And now we're going to add in that, hey, she's just up against Sasha. You, you might be on to something pretty genius here, man. It didn't click for me until Becky Lynch tapped out Carmella on SmackDown. Because I was like, now how in the hell are we going to get to it? How do we get there now? Ah, we were thinking about this the wrong way. This isn't going to be for the Raw women's title. Uh-uh. No, Ronda Rousey's losing that title at the Royal Rumble. Now, um. Let me ask you this here. Could you have that, the Raw Women's Championship, be the last of the three? So by that point, you already have Becky as a champion. You have Charlotte as the Rumble winner. And then by the end of that, you have Rousey on the outside looking in. You got Sasha with the Raw. Uh, Bailey, you know, will obviously be involved somewhere in this thing. Yep. Now, my question is. How do you flip this? Because one of them is going to have to turn. Either Sasha has to turn heel coming out of this thing with the championship, 
Or this is the moment that finally breaks Rousey and Rousey snaps and she just starts going off on people and you're positioning her against Becky Lynch, Charlotte Flair, Sasha Banks and Bailey. I, I don't think that Ronda Rousey's going to get cheered over any of those girls to begin with. You might as well turn her heel. I think this is a case where you you kind of you play you play it however you would write it out without the directive of who is your heel, who is is your baby. I, I write it out, have have the you know the reformation of the uh, the wrestling horsewomen, and then then kind of all right. Is there sympathy on Ronda now that she has been ultimately outnumbered? Uh, you kind of have a split how people feel of you know about the women, the horsewomen, the wrestling horsewomen themselves. Uh, and then what do you do on Monday? Do, do you bring out Baszler and crew? I would, because I, I'm, a, I'm assuming that Bianca Belair is going to beat Shayna Baszler. Right. And, and I wouldn't, I mean, it would be so far-fetched to see them actually show up at the rumble. Cause we know they're there. Yeah. I mean, we, we know they're in the building. Over. They're going to be in. Yeah. They're takeovers the night before they're going to be in the area. It's not a stretch that they're going to be there to support Rhonda to hang out with their friend. I, I think that might be overbooking it that night, but definitely on Monday, I think that'd be a hot open. You know, Rhonda's out there, you know, kind of lost, you know, and now she, you know, this isn't going her way. She has been better. She's been bested. And here come the other MMA horsewomen. And at that point, I would really read the crowd reaction. At that point, going- I think you have to turn Rousey heel because there's no way you're turning Shayna Baszler, Jasmine Duke and Marina Shafir babyface. But is this a situation where that gray area works, where you just write, write for the women, write a great blood feud, and let the fans choose their side? No I mean, way. to me, this to me this screams. I mean, this is like Ohio State, Michigan. This is Duke, Carolina. There, are, there are no good. There are no villains. We're just going to have a fucking a great fucking throwdown brawl. Yeah, but the problem is you do have heroes and you do have villains because you have Becky Lynch, who is the most over baby face in the company. You have Charlotte Flair, who at the end of the day is going to end up becoming the greatest of all time, whether she really is or not. You have Sasha Banks, who they actually gave a little bit of her edge back to on Monday night. It was nice to see the boss. It was the first time that we've seen her well, in like three if fucking if they're years. The heels, if they're the heels, though, then the Bailey dynamic is very interesting. Especially if Bailey's the only one in that group without a trophy at the time. I just, how do you present Shayna Baszler as anything other than the biggest, baddest bitch in the company? Well, and even with the other two, I mean, they're, that's how they're presented right now. They have that look, they have that swagger. And I actually think you really want to capitalize on Rhonda. She needs to join that because she is a natural bitch. So go back and watch. And I'm not saying that in real life, but you know, when she turns it on for that combat style, go yep. back and watch her MMA stuff. That is who she is. I'm sure she's very sweet, uh, a tremendous person. But when she gets in front of that camera, she is best when she is a bitch. So obviously at the end of the day, what's going to happen is Bailey and Ronda Rousey are going to be crowned your first ever WWE women's tag team champions. Let's go ahead and throw things over to SmackDown live. Um, Becky taps out Carmella and and I at first I was just like what in the hell what in the hell are you doing this was so clear like and they even kind of sent Carmella back to being Carmella is money you know she was right back to being her heel character the last four months with our truth never happened we're supposed to take Carmella seriously again no seven second dance party this week because we got bitch face Carmella 
And then Becky just goes out there and taps her out. What the hell, man? Ah, the Rousey thing. Okay. Now, now that, you know, it makes sense there. It did start to come to play. And a lot of people, you know, going into this thing, I don't think anyone would have been surprised to see Carmella go over. As we thought this was going to be a little bit of a throwaway uh, building, you know, towards that triple threat and all that. But the way you threw it out there, man, it's hard to argue that, brother. So then we had Brian taking on R-Truth. I mean, we've got Carmella in the main event against Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair. And we have R-Truth up against Daniel Bryan to open SmackDown. Huckleberry, everybody should be fighting tooth and nail to get into the Mixed Match Challenge. This is obviously how you get a push. Well, hey, it's because Vince really, Vince was loving this, the dance break, man. What did you Vince think of R-Truth? I mean, I thought hey, R-Truth I- held his own in there with Bryan. Hey, R-Truth is a tremendous talent. And because he's relied so much on the comedy over you know the last, hell, 10 years, uh, people have forgotten that. I mean, this guy was a great NWA champion. Know, back for TNA wrestling. This guy could go in the ring. And and you were talking about a different mindset from Carmella on the show. A very vicious R-Truth. I, I thought it was was great. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm glad he's getting a moment to shine like this. And then we have AJ Styles do exactly the same thing that R-Truth just did five minutes before that. That right. part I did not like. I, I'm not, I am not digging this AJ Styles uh, forced uh, what ruthless aggression hall kind of deal. It's ruthless aggression. That's what it is. Vince McMahon thinks that every lead babyface needs ruthless aggression. Well, even you know, going back to the, just that's what I guess I was turned off from this from the get go. Uh, AJ bitch slapping uh, a 75 year old man and then hulking up over him, uh, with the head, like the just crazy oh. heavy breathing. Yeah, what the hell was that? Dude? Yeah, From that, that was moment, I was like, I'm already done with this. Uh, please, let's move on. And this, this AJ, this uh, the new authority kind of, you know, it, people are actually like, oh, I can get on board with that. That'll be a that'll be a cool new twist. No, they do this every five every within five years. They do this. This is nothing new. And they just same thing with with Seth that they did. You know, it, forcing somebody over and I don't know. It's just garbage. This isn't a reenactment of of when the rock turned. This one is coming from everywhere. The rock one came out of nowhere. It surprised people. And it'd be great if that was the first time we've seen it since the rock, but we've seen it half a dozen times since then. Yep. Uh, I agree with you. I thought that the best match on the show was the tag team match uh, with Andrade Cien all miss pinning Ray Mysterio. Now, Rick, we talked about last week. We had Zelina Vega and Andrade Cien Almas being in the ring with John Cena and Becky Lynch. And we had hoped that maybe we were looking at that all wrong. And this was actually Cena and Lynch giving a rub to Cien and Vega. This week he goes out, he gets a big pinfall win over Rey Mysterio. I would love to see that as like a full on three to four month feud, Mysterio and Cien with Cien winning it at the end. What did you make out of the tag match? If anything at all, I really, like you said, uh, just taking out the possibilities of the future and just taking it for what it was just a fun little tag match. Really enjoyed it. Thought it was the match, you know, the highlight of the evening in ring for, for SmackDown. My only fear is last year when I look at the win loss record, CN only had one singles victory. So now my question is, does this elevate CN or does this lower Rey Mysterio? No, I think in their mind, you know, you got a fresh year, fresh start. 
Yeah, so I think this is an this isn't this elevates him. But most importantly, though, now let's talk about going forward is how they treat this program. Look, you know, he he steals a big win here. I just hope they don't rush it where it's like, okay, we're going to do this at the Rumble and that's it. Look at you trying to get in your buzzwords. Fresh start. Uh huh. Shill, Vickery, Shill. It's back. It's back. Uh, the Usos versus the bar. Rick? Oh, that reminds me. I got to send in a resume today. today. Uh, Rick, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to give you your moment um, because I have nothing to say about it. I think that it's awful. I hate everything about it. But why don't you go ahead and do your best Corey Graves impersonation and drool all over Mandy Rose in a towel on SmackDown Live? You weren't digging the perfect creation? Uh, no, I think this entire angle is oh. awful. Oh, man, come on. It was the only saving grace to this entire entire thing going on with the Usos and, and the bar here. The fact that the Usos even have to win a match to get a championship match is absurd. Dude, hold on, hold on. And then it gets even better. We get Mandy Rose in a towel, and then you're talking about winning matches for championship opportunities. The hell with that? We get Mandy Rose in a towel, and then we get the Miz in- He's going to get a tag team title opportunity. Oh, yeah. We'll Come talk on. about that in a it's second. together here. We'll talk about that in a second. But go ahead and, and, and I, get your I Mandy like Rose further. thing out of your system. I know you got I, it I in there. even further. Hey, what was even better than her and that towel out there on the stage? You know, just the uh, yeah, use your imagination. Get you all excited. Edge of the seat kind of stuff. Standing, standing ovation for Mandy Rose in a towel. But even better as she's walking backstage and she takes that thing off. And I think. I think that that ring gear is getting skimpier and skimpier by the week. You know, my favorite part of that entire exchange was uh, when Naomi came in and started whipping her ass. And then, oh, I, I loved that. I enjoyed it. Well, well took no, the heels it, off, took the heels off. It was ready to throw. But my favorite part of the whole thing was when Oos comes walking up behind Naomi and grabs a hold of her. And he's just like, what the hell's wrong with you? That was my favorite part of the entire promo. What the hell's wrong with you? I'm still waiting for this thing to to end up in a Uso versus Uso feud. Oh, Jesus Christ. Let's talk about the best tag team in the world. Yeah, that's right. We have Shane O'Mac and The Miz, the, the, the best tag team in the world. That's how they need to be announced. I can't wait to see Shane McMahon in his red leather Miz gear. Um, but, Rick, you know, the, the one thing that was really kind of bugging me is they go through and they do this whole thing about how championship opportunities have to be earned. And they're talking to AJ Styles about earning his opportunity. And they talk about, you know, this women's triple threat to earn their opportunity. And then you look over on Raw and you've got Seth Rollins trying to earn an opportunity. And Shane McMahon and The Miz just get handed a fucking title shot. No, I think that was the brilliance behind it. I know, but it's just the lack of psychology. No, no, that was the brilliance behind it because Shane was trying to argue against it. You know, like, that's not how we're going to do things. Yeah, in the past, I would have just kind of used my name and elevated myself to that level. But this is a fresh start. This is a new beginning here. We're not going to do that like that. And the Miz, in his mind, manipulates that. And that's exactly what he did. So... So as Shane says, you we got to go out and take our opportunities. We got to go out and seize the moments and all that. So Miz goes out and just makes the challenge, and it's granted. He said to him, "That's good." Okay, so it's time. I haven't called for one in a very, very long time. But you know what I want out of this story, Rick? 
I want the infamous double turn. That's right. I don't want the Miz to screw over Shane McMahon. I don't want the the, the heel Miz versus babyface Shane McMahon at WrestleMania. I want Shane to have it with Miz's shit. And I want Shane O'Mac to turn on the Miz. And I, let's do a good old-fashioned double turn. I want to see heel Shane O'Mac and babyface Miz. What do you think? Or is this all leading to... The Miz is going to screw over Shane McMahon, and it's going to be the Miz versus Shane at WrestleMania. Do, do you do it at the Rumble, or do you hold off? Do you put the belts on him for a little bit? Absolutely, I put the belts on him. Absolutely. I mean, put, the, the tag team division in, on SmackDown is so bad. You know what I'd really love? Let's put the belts on him, okay? And then Shane starts treating Miz like the B team. Oh, my God. That's ridiculous, but it's very, very funny, and I would like to see that. Uh, now, the question is, who takes the belts from Shane and The Miz? And, well, and then you could have them. You could have a little extended run with them and then make another switch, what, at Fastlane? And yeah, then you probably. build then you build to the program at WrestleMania. <sighs> Man, you'd have to do something, something new. We can't just go back and throw the belts into the same old division. What do you do, like a Sanity, Good Brothers... NXT call up. I mean, could that be a spot for heavy machinery? I sent heavy machinery to raw. They're so character they, they, driven. They, they scream raw to me. I mean, I think they're going to be a lot of fun. I, I'm a heavy machinery fan. I don't, I don't think like they're going to, you know, burn, you know, like the world on fire. They're going to revolutionize tag team wrestling. They're going to be a fun. They're going to be an overweight too cool. You know, that's what they are. Um, Bludgeon brothers coming back anytime soon. I don't know what Rowan's, return looks like i mean we haven't seen harper in months maybe we rebuild sanity with nikki cross coming in see i don't know i mean i like that you bring up something maybe like bray and, and luke oh yeah i could get behind that um if they're gonna call up undisputed era at any given point in time perhaps after takeover phoenix and you, you shift to o'reilly and fish or o'reilly and strong undisputed era because if undisputed era come up they have to go to smackdown they have I to think, go to SmackDown. i think that would be a fun thing because if you're waiting till fast lane to do that then you can actually write them off on the next set of taping so it's not like they show up on smackdown right you know right after you could they could still you know fulfill nxt obligations for a set of tapings and then surprise you at Fastlane. Oh, no. I know what I want. I know what I want. I want to see the War Raiders versus Shane McMahon in The Miz. Oh, I want that so bad, Rick. I have to see Hanson and Rowe just fucking murder Shane McMahon. Oh, I want to see this so badly. I was sort of just thinking like, uh, like, like Miz would just like shit his pants. And then Shane's sitting there trying to be the tough guy and stand up to him. Yes. And then Miz just turns around and runs and leaves Shane McMahon to Hanson and Roe. I would love that. Yes. That's, then, that's the storyline we're going with. Would that really make Miz a baby though? That's the storyline we're going with. That's what I want. Let's talk about honor reign Supreme. That's coming up this Sunday live on Honor Club. Rick, I had a very, very special guest this Monday I got to sit down with. It was on very short notice. I didn't even have time to let you know that it was happening. But I got to sit down with Mr. Brody King, Marty Skrull's tag team partner. Brody and PCO joining Marty to form Villain Enterprises. Did you have a chance to listen to this interview yet? I have, man. A tremendous listen. A man of a few words, but very effective in in what he uh, wants to you know parlay about you know where he's been, you know his takes on professional wrestling. 
Uh, excellent interview. I think everyone's going to enjoy it. But you know what? I just figured out something, you motherfucker. What's you that? Did, the, the office didn't call you. You fucking lied to me to run off and do these interviews by yourself, and you left me alone with MSG. That would be fantastic if it was true, but no, I did end up working 13 hours and I overslept, which is why this episode is coming out late, but hopefully it's worth it. Here's the Brody King interview. Rick and I will be right back to talk a little bit of Honor Reign Supreme coming up this Sunday on Honor Club. What's up, peeps, freaks, and geeks? Welcome back to this very special edition of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, powered by the Roar Network at thegorillaposition.com, presented by Hameen Media, and in association with LastWordOnProWrestling.com. Today, ladies and gentlemen, we are joined by possibly the biggest guest inside of the locker room studios, literally. Standing in at six foot five, weighing in at 285 pounds, ladies and gentlemen, he is a former AAW heavyweight champion, a winner of All Pro Wrestling's Young Lions Cup in 2016, Southern California Rookie of the Year in 2016, current reigning World Series Wrestling Tag Team Champion alongside his tag team partner, the villain, Marty Skrull. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the newest signings to Ring of Honor, Mr. Brody King. Mr. King, welcome to the show. How's it going, Mike? Thanks for having me. No problem. Thanks for taking the time to join us today. We're doing this one on a bit of short notice, so so thank you very much, Mr. King. Uh, let's, no problem. Let's go ahead. Let's start things off from the top. The first question that we always ask our guests, how did you find yourself into this crazy world of professional wrestlings? Uh, what promotions did you come up watching, and who was on top at the time, just to provide our listeners a little bit of context? Um, through my dad, I mean... Ever since I can remember, uh, it was always a, a big part of um, my household and my, mine and my, my dad's relationship where, you know, we would hang out, we would watch uh, WWF at the time. Um, like The Undertaker was always my guy. Uh, I always, I guess, gravitated more towards the dark side of the characters than, than the Hulk Hogan of the, uh, of the world. But uh, yeah, it was always kind of there. And then through my teens, um, I kind of fell out, but then, like, in my mid-20s, I kind of, like, started watching again during the CM Punk Straight Edge Society era. That was a great period for pro wrestling. You know, I, I find it kind of funny that you say growing up you were an Undertaker fan. It's like once a villain, always a villain. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, when I started becoming, like, you know, 13, Stone Cold was, like, my guy, but he was still, you know... He wasn't always just like the cookie cutter baby face, like good guy. Right. Right. Well, let's see. You, you trained at the infamous Santino Bros Academy in Bell Gardens, California, made your professional debut in 2015. And since then, you have been in the ring with some of the biggest names and some of the biggest promotions in the world finding before finding your way to Ring of Honor. Uh, tell us a little bit about your training, who you trained under and those first days early in the business. Uh, yeah, I started my uh, training at Santino Brothers Wrestling Academy under uh, Joey, the Rock Superstar Chaos, and uh, Robbie Phoenix. And uh, the Los Luchas, Zocre, and Phoenix Star, uh, they were my trainers for the first uh, year and a half. And then my finishing school training was with uh, Rocky Romero. So those were like the people that are my main foundation in, in pro wrestling. 
Very cool. Nice to see. I just read uh, Rocky Romero just signed a new contract with New Japan. That's always good to hear. Yeah, I mean, he's he's the man, and I'm really happy for everything that he has been able to accomplish in his position with Ring of Honor right now. I mean, uh, with New Japan for Wrestling. Uh, since then, you found your way to some great promotions. You won the AAW Heavyweight Championship from ACH back in August, a title that has become quite coveted and a mainstay in the American independent scene. Tell us a little bit about your time up at AAW. Uh, yeah, I started at AAW in, um, what was it, May of, or May of this year or of last year, I'm sorry. And uh, yeah, pretty much from the first moment I started at AAW, Danny just kind of, he saw my commitment to him and he saw my, uh, my drive and he just kind of put it in full gear and, and, you know, I couldn't have asked for a better year at AAW. He, uh, I won the title in, uh, in July and had a, had a great title run with Jimmy Jacobs by my side. So learning from Jimmy and, um, having some really great matches with guys like ACH, Eddie Kingston, uh, Pentagon, like I couldn't have asked for a better year at AEW. You know, I'm noticing this thread throughout your career that you are just surrounding yourselves with these great minds. What Talk a little bit more about Jimmy Jacobs and, and kind of sitting underneath of that learning tree, even if it was only for a year up there at AAW. I mean, that had to be quite the experience. Jimmy has one of the best minds in professional wrestling going today, in my opinion. Uh, I 100% agree. And I mean, from basically from May until December, I had an ongoing feud with uh, Sammy Callahan as well. So between him and between Jimmy and Sammy, like watching both of them and like the way that their brains work in wrestling, like it's, it was really, really cool. Like watching Jimmy, uh, like form a promo is like watching someone paint a picture. Like he just kind of mumbles to himself for like, 15 seconds and he goes, all right, I got it. And then he just like unleashes this insane promo where he's just hitting every point and he just has you locked into like the storyline. And it's like, it's very impressive and very cool to watch and learn from. And there's something about the delivery, the cadence. There's something about the way that Jimmy just delivers a promo that I, I've never quite put my finger on it, but he has whatever it may be. Also over the course yeah, he's of very unique. Also over the course of the last year, you made your debut at Pro Wrestling Guerrilla, now based out of Los Angeles, California, having an incredible match with then-champion Walter, as well as competing in the Battle of Los Angeles, where you would defeat now stablemate PCO in the first round. Is this where you originally met PCO? Uh, no, actually, when was the first time I wrestled PCO? So I wrestled PCO, um... I think the first time we worked was at MLW, uh, Major League Wrestling. Um, we had two matches at MLW. Actually, our first time was in a three-way at Smash Wrestling in Toronto. Uh, it was me, Jeff Cobb, and PCO. Oh my and God. then I wrestled PCO two more times in MLW, and then I wrestled him at BOLA. So we actually had kind of an ongoing thing for a while, and then we became stablemates in Bell Enterprises. My God, you, Jeff Cobb, and PCO in the same ring? How is that building still standing? I, I don't know. There's a lot of beef getting thrown around in that ring. 
Holy cow. Uh, in November, you made your way down under to compete with World Series Wrestling in Australia. It was on November 24th that yourself and new tag team partner, the villain Marty Skrull, would announce the formation of Villain Enterprises and win the tag team championships from Concrete Dongs. Yes, I said Dongs, ladies and gentlemen. The team of Concrete Davidson and his fill-in tag partner, Flip Gordon, filling in for famous dick wrestler, Joey Ryan. Uh, tell us a little bit about Villain Enterprises, how and when you met Marty, and the formation of this tag team. I've known Marty since pretty early on in my career. He he would come into Rocky Romero's classes whenever he was in town and just sit in and kind of like give us advice, give us some uh, tips or whatever. And I kind of kept up with him throughout the last couple of years. And then he uh, messaged me on Twitter and, and said that he had this idea for this new stable and uh, wanted to debut it in Australia. So that was kind of the formation of Villain Enterprises. And he uh, asked me if I wanted to go on an Australian tour, which obviously was yes. And that, I guess, the rest of his history. <laughs> wow, what a crazy story. What a crazy ride. Thank God for Twitter. I hear more and more stories like this of, of uh whether it be musicians, which is the world that I come from, or professional wrestlers, all this social media networking process has just become this huge stable inside of the business. If there was a way to to harness that, because you guys are doing business all over the world now. I mean, you know, it wasn't more than 20 years ago. You know, you would have absolutely no way to communicate with these people. Yeah, and it's also really awesome because it's like Marty you know, he kind of was able to watch my growth in, in wrestling from afar, like without having to directly be in contact with me. And I think that, you know, as he saw my name popping up more and more, and like, obviously when I debuted for PWG and stuff like that, he was able to kind of see my growth and then was like, Hey, you know, I've been watching this guy. I think that he's, you know, got what it takes. Like I'd like to have him in my stable. So that was, Obviously, I don't. I don't think for without social media, I don't know if any of that would have actually happened. Incredible. On December first, you signed an exclusive deal with Ring of Honor, making your debut at the December fifteenth tapings when the Kingdom was about to assault Marty. Obviously, Marty's been dealing with some things with some of his friends moving on to start another company. Uh, what was that moment like for you when the lights go out, they come back up and there you are standing alongside Marty, the lights go out again, in comes PCO and you're facing off with the world six man tag team champions, the kingdom, the self-proclaimed real ring of honor champion, Matt Taven, TKO, Ryan, Vinny Marcellia. What a debut. What did that moment mean to you? And how did all of this happen? Uh, I mean, it was definitely pretty overwhelming. I mean, there was, you know, the rumor, the rumor mill was turning because I obviously a couple of weeks prior I was in um, Australia with Marty uh, doing Villain Enterprises and and he had his Villain Enterprises shirt on in the ring. So when the lights went out, uh, there was a, a large amount of the crowd chanting Brody and that like, you know, while the lights are out and I'm sliding into the ring like that feeling was just my, you know, I had goosebumps and it was it was just so electric and, and awesome. And then, you know, obviously PCO comes sliding the ring and the, the crowd like blew up from that. So that was a really cool feeling. And then, you know, I, I don't know, I guess I couldn't ask for a better debut. That, that was one of the more Jericho-like entrances that I can remember in Ring of Honor. That was a really, really cool moment. 
So, Brody, let's talk about Honor Reign Supreme coming up January 13th. It's going to be live on Honor Club. Um, it's the Cabarrus Arena in Concord, North Carolina. Visit ROHWrestling.com for more details on how you can become a member. Brody, you're going to be tagging with Marty and PCO to take on three bullies from inside of Ring of Honor. I'm talking about former ROH TV champion Silas Young and the ROH World Tag Team champions, the Briscoes. Of course, those three alongside of Shane. Taylor, who's a friend of the show, and Bully Ray have completely taken out the elite, nearly inciting a riot at the 2300 Arena in Philadelphia. My understanding is by that time, yourself and the rest of Villain Enterprises had left the building. Talk to me a little bit about this huge matchup coming up in Concord. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty crazy to, to debut for Ring of Honor and then like have this be one of our first matches. Uh, such at such a high profile. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm I'm facing off against a former AAW champion and Silas Young, and also, you know, all three of those guys are huge Ring of Honor mainstays. So that's, you know, an intimidating um, feat in itself. But I think that Marty and PCO and I, we're gonna we're definitely gonna give it to them. So. You know, the name of this stable is Villain Enterprises. And when we first saw Marty come over and debut in Ring of Honor, he was a true villain. And then he joined the Bullet Club. And over the course of the time that we have known Marty, he's he's more so become a true fan favorite inside of Ring of Honor. And now the stable is coming together and you guys are going after the biggest, most badass bullies inside of Ring of Honor. So... Brody, could you define to me what exactly is a villain? I mean, we'll do whatever it takes to win. It doesn't matter. And, I mean, PCO is truly not human. I don't know if you've seen the types of things that he does, and then he just gets right up and walks away from it like it was nothing. Uh, he's basically an unstoppable wrecking ball. Um, I will hit them with everything I have, even if it means giving myself bodily harm. And... Marty is just Marty. He's a villain. He is sneaky. He will cheat. He doesn't care. Um, but that's just the way it is. So they're going to have to hit us really hard and really often if they want to try to get an edge up on us. Between Marty and Rocky Romero, the people that you're running around with, you might be giving uh, Rocky a run for King of Sneaky Style after a couple of years here. Oh, uh, he, he will always be the King of Sneaky Style. <laughs> This will be your official Ring of Honor Honor Club streaming debut for those fans who have not had an opportunity to see Brody King inside of the ring as of yet. What can they expect? Uh, I would definitely say that my style is a hybrid between um, brawler and traditional big man mixed with uh, luchador which is very unconventional. Um, yeah, I wasn't exactly sure how to explain your in-ring style, so I thought I'd ask you to. Yeah, I mean, I, I can I can, uh, I can, can throw fists with the best of them. I mean, like you said, I, I've, I've been in matches with Walter, um, MVP. Um, I've been in matches with Tim Thatcher, so it's like I can have that hard-hitting match, but then at the same time, you'll see me flying out of the ring doing a tope con hilo, or jumping off the top rope doing a reverse crossbody like, you know, a cruiserweight. So it's I'm very unpredictable. 
It's one very, very large luchador, ladies and gentlemen. Brody, one final <laughs> question for you. We're on the road to the G1 Supercard Show at Madison Square Garden. It's coming up April 6, 2019. I think it's safe to assume at this point, Villain Enterprises is going to be highly featured leading up to the event and at the event itself. You're going to have a huge hand in this show. What's it going to be like for you to stand in the middle of the world's most famous arena with the world's eyes on you? Uh, I mean, I, I don't have any confirmation yet that I, I will be at Madison Square Garden. But if that does happen, it will be absolutely the highlight of my career. Um, to be in such a prestigious arena will be, you know, it'll take your breath away. I guarantee it. I mean, and it'll be a truly special moment. Brody, thank you very much for joining us today. Why don't you tell the peeps, the freaks, and the geeks how to keep up with yourself as well as Villain Enterprises on social media? Uh, you can follow me at Twitter and Instagram at BrodyXKing and uh, on Facebook at just Brody King. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I mean, you can you can pick up a Villain Enterprises shirt on uh, on Marty's um, Pro Wrestling Key store. So yeah, just keep up with what we're doing because we got a lot more planned. Brody, thanks a lot. Keep in touch. We'll talk soon. Thank you, sir. Ruthless gangster definition villain. Leave your shit unlocked and he's still in. So call the police because that's all you can do. But he'll get away without leaving a clue. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Cut this shit. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Get to know Brody King, one of the newest faces inside of Ring of Honor. Rick, that was a lot of fun. I really like Brody. Yeah, you know, I'm looking forward to some tremendous Tremendous things, you know, coming uh, for Brody. Tremendous talent. Already accomplished so much, but really so much ahead of him. And if we're going to jump in, I know we're going to talk a little bit about Honor and Reign Supreme. One of the matches I'm, I am definitely looking forward to. Maybe the match that, the, that I am most looking forward to. Uh, a big six man involving Mr. King. I've got it number two on my list of matches I'm looking forward to, but we'll get to the other one in a second. Let's kick things off with Villain Enterprises. Brody, Marty, and PCO taking on Silas Young and the Briscoes, three of the five bullies inside of ROH. This I, thing is going to be lit, man. I can't wait to see this match. You you want some violence? You want a little violence in your life this weekend? Then make sure you check this match out. This thing is going to be I, I, chaotic. I don't even know if, if that's gonna if that's suitable. I mean, this is this is World War Three right here. Dude, this is, I just I cannot wait for Mark Briscoe to grab a chair and throw it at PCO's head, and PCO's just gonna look at him. <laughs> or the chair's gonna bend over PCO's head. At PCO is not human. That is actually his Twitter. It's fantastic. I'm loving PCO. That's just not a handle. That's an accurate description. Yeah. If you haven't seen Brody in the ring, if you haven't seen PCO in the ring, absolutely go out of your way to check this thing out. I can't wait to see how Marty is going to interact with these two bruisers. Well, and you know, going back to the interview to reference there, uh, your description, I like how when you kicked it over to him about his style, because you had no idea how to describe it. I mean, Brody can bring every little bit of style. If He is one of those guys that all wrestling fans should gravitate towards. Because, you know, if, if you're me, you like that, you know, that old school style, you know, the big the big grunts just going in there, throwing down, you can get that. If you like the aerial assault, you're going to get that there. If you like hardcore, you're going to get that. This guy embodies a little bit of every style, and he does each one so well. You got that dynamic. You've got PTO who, like you said, that dude is not human. 
uh, what what he is doing. What is he? 50, 55? Yeah, something like that. Uh, the way he has reinvented himself, is, it is absurd. It is crazy to watch him. And then you got to throw in the villain and everything that Marty brings, man. From And a lot of people have forgotten because Marty has been relying so much on character that he can get in there and get dirty. And I think, and maybe that's what I'm most looking forward to in this match. And maybe why this is, you know, my go-to on this card is to see the Marty that we get. Maybe to see the the resurgence of the true villain. Now that he is the head honcho, he is leading a new direction, his new vision within Ring of Honor. The hell with that that elite thing. This is Villain Enterprises. We're going to get a hell of a showing from them. And on the other side, like you said. It doesn't come any tougher than Young and the Briscoes. Looking forward hey, you, to it. How, how do you see those guys working together? Um, I don't. Uh, I, I, I see Villain Enterprises winning this match, and chances are they will win this match because of a miscommunication between Silas Young and the Briscoes. That's that's kind of what I'm assuming I here. Be 100%. Uh, let's talk about another sick, big six man on this card. It's going to be your ROH World Six Man Tag Team Champions, The Kingdom taking on the team of Shane Helms, Delirious, and the Luchasaurus. I do like the Luchasaurus. I'm really happy that they're keeping him around Ring of Honor. Uh, This is going to be a proving ground match. So if the masked men, that's what I'm calling the team of the Hurricane, Delirious, and the Luchasaurus, if the masked men can pin the champions, they will get a shot at the ROH World Six-Man Tag Team titles. I don't think it's going to happen, but I love seeing Luchasaurus in the ring. I, I'm a big fan of his. You, you turn me on to some of his work away from Ring of Honor. Uh, tremendous talent. Really excited to, that we're going to get to see more of him, especially on a platform that we regularly cover. I'm with you. I don't see the masked men getting this one. And I think the you know, I, you would I, I think you're with me and the rest of the world is with me. We're really looking forward to the eventual showdown with the kingdom and villain enterprise. I mean, that's what we've already got set up. Absolutely. That it just it needs a bigger stage than Honor Reign Supreme. Well, you know, at first when I saw this, I was a little disappointed because I was like, man, that's the match I want. But then the mind started working. It's like, you know what? Make me wait. You know, don't give me, don't give me my don't let me open the gifts on Christmas Eve. Let make me wait till Christmas Day to the bigger time. And it's gonna be one hell, one hell of a showing. Could you see that match happen at G1 Supercard in the garden? I think there's probably bigger things for those individuals. That's the thing. It's like Matt Taven has the real Ring of Honor World Heavyweight Championship. I mean, don't you want to see him in a singles match in the Garden? Well, let me ask you this. I mean, could you build all the way to this feud? We switch the six mans. He's got the real championship. Could you see Marty versus Taven for the real championship? Is that big enough for the G1 for you in the Garden? Absolutely. I would sign up for that. And then you could give me uh, Brody and PCO taking on the Briscoes. For the ROH Ooh, tag team championship. Yes, yes, I would like that. And then let's be honest, because it's not so important that the six man's included on that show. It, it is a second thought title. Uh, it's nice to have around, gets people involved, and it's going to be a great facilitator for you know for different programs here. Don't forget, but we've yeah. got 17th anniversary coming up too. And that's where I see that that six man going down, and, and you know, but potentially switch. Another guy that could challenge Matt Taven for the real Ring of Honor World Championship makes his debut in Concord. It's going to be the Luchador, known as Bandito, taking on the Darewolf, PJ Black. 
This match is, I'm really looking forward to it. There's a lot of people sleeping on this match. I expect Bandito to get the big win, being his debut here. I'm not even sure exactly what PJ Black's relationship is with ROH at this point. It seems like he may just be working on like a spot show kind of deal. So I expect him to put over Bandito here. But Rick, I think this is going to be a fantastic match. Yeah, I agree 100%. You know, a big debut for Bandito. Uh, people that are sleeping on this, you need to wake up. Bandito is an incredible talent. Uh, you know, and This is coming from someone I don't really like that style, but to, just to watch his athleticism will just wow you. You know, Coming out of All In, so many people at the end of that show were, who the hell is that? You know, those were in attendance, especially. I mean, that was the buzz. You know, people were talking about him and him, when is he going to reemerge? And this is a huge get for Ring of Honor. And they're going to have to pretty much, you know, with how intense, how intense this environment is, you know, all, I guess, call them these mid-majors all chasing for uh, dominance in professional wrestling. Bandito is going to be a leading force ring of honor. Do you like PJ Black? Oh, always been a, a great fan of his. But, you know, like you said, it seems like he's working on a, a spot show appearance with them. So it's not like they're really going to get invested. I think he's going to be a tremendous opponent here to really go out there and help highlight what Bandito is all about. Here's something that you don't hear me say very often. I want PJ Black to sign with Impact Wrestling because I love PJ Black with John Morrison, with Jack Evans, with Taya, the Worldwide Underground, that faction that they built inside of Lucha Underground. That's my favorite John Morrison. That's my favorite PJ Black. I really like the dynamic that all those guys have together. Even, even outside of that, I think he'd be a tremendous addition to that X division. Thinking of some of those matchups. Absolutely. Uh, any of the Chris brothers, Swan, um, him and uh, uh, Seidel, whatever. What's Seidel's name over there? Matt Seidel. Oh, is that? Okay. That's where, what was he in? What was he in WWE? Evan Bourne. That's what yes. I hit. Okay. Him and Seidel. You talk about those guys could go for days. Did that ever I, happen? Justin Gabriel versus Evan Bourne. Did that ever happen in the WWE? No, they tag team together. Weren't they tag champs at one point? Oh, that's right. They were. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they, they've, they've had interaction with each other, but I would love to see those guys, you know, on an episode of impact going and tear the house down. Absolutely. Um, I, w- I could even see like, uh, uh, if you bring in Jack Evans, the team of PJ black and Jack Evans versus the Lucha bros. Hell yeah. Sign oh, me yeah. up. Anyone in that tag division, LAX hell. Yeah. I think he would be a great get for impact wrestling. OVE? Oh, man, they could do so much with PJ Black there. Uh, Flip Gordon going to take on a new Ring of Honor signee, Tracy Williams. Um, not exactly sure how these two guys are going to mix things up stylistically. I don't. When I think of Tracy Williams, I don't think of him as the insane high flyer. Or maybe we are going to get a new side of Flip Gordon after this Bully Ray feud. Uh, that's what I was – I didn't really know – a whole lot about Williams going into this thing. I had to do a little research. Uh, you're right, different styles. I'm expecting to see a different flip board where he shows that he's more than you know just flip. Yeah. Uh, this is going to be my match of the night. This is the match I am most looking forward to, as ridiculous as it sounds. It's going to be Taguchi Japan, the team of Juice Robinson and David Finley taking on the best friends. And Rick, I am excited for this match because there's something wrong with Chucky e. T. Chucky e. T's been given the crazy eyes left and right, and I think this is time. I think Chucky e. T is about ready to completely lose his shit. I can't think of a two better guys for that to happen against other than Juice Robinson and David Finley. I am looking forward to this tag team matchup. 
I, I hope you're right at looking at this thing. I wasn't really sure what we were going to get. You know, this thing could go in so many directions. We could get like a, a huge payoff like you're talking about. We could get a huge comedy spot fest. Absolutely. Uh, you could get both. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> it, this, we could have like three different matches going on in, within this one match. And Chuck E.T. is going to be involved in all three of them. <laughs> well, he'll be the driving force in all of them. The, if you're not following along with the Crazy Eyes Chuck E.T. story, you are absolutely missing out. Another match that I'm really looking forward to on this card, Rick, is going to be Kelly Klein taking on Jenny Rose, Women of Honor Championship. But, oh yeah, this thing's going to be a street fight. That I think this is the first street fight for the Women of Honor Championship. So I'm looking forward to see what these two girls can bust out here. Uh, Kelly's first, uh, first defense, and they're up in the ante on her. Uh, uh, she just has that, that hot new contract. I was going to say, uh, we were worried about her contract status with BJ leaving the company. She's got a new contract. It seems as though all systems are go with Kelly Klein as your Women of Honor champion. Yeah, it looks like uh, you know she's going to be the one that's going to carry that, that that division going forward. And you got to feel kind of good about it. You know, they got Madison locked down. Uh, Tennille still has, you know, I believe like another year left in her deal there. You've got Kelly with a two-year deal. Uh, it looks like they're really bolstering. They're going to – I guess up to this point, it's been a little bit of a letdown with Women of Honor. I uh, haven't been as featured as much. And I think they're going to have to start relying on them a little bit more, especially with this changing landscape that we're seeing. They need to lock up that stardom relationship before AEW does. That's going to be a big thing for the Women of Honor division that I'm watching in 2019. And then we have your ROH championship match. I'm a little surprised that this is happening at Honor Reign Supreme and not the anniversary show. But I'm looking forward to the match regardless. It's going to be Jay Lethal, your Ring of Honor world champion, friend of the show, taking on Dalton Castle, one of the strangest individuals that I've ever met in my life. And I would really like to sit down and have a beer with him at StarCast 2. Hey, did you see the, the recent special Ring of Honor put out? Oh, with, uh, uh, Castle? the Pinnacle. It's part five, yes. right? Yes. Yes. Did you get a chance to catch that yet? I haven't had a chance to watch it, but uh, I know that it's out there. Tremendous piece. And, you know, watching it, I was actually on the, I was in on the live premiere. And, I, you know, when I see it was in over there, Bonnie Munoz was in there. A few other people from, you know, the group were all watching live. And I threw out a comment there, and it got great reaction. You talk about, and I put over Dalton Castle as the breakout star of the 2010s. Uh, to me, a guy that, you know, pretty much was written off. Yeah, he's, he is what he, this is what he's going to be. He's got this crazy gimmick. He'll never really rise to main event level. And then he did that. You know, he took that to the next level where, you know, people gravitate towards, you know, the peacocks and all that. And not only did he become the Ring of Honor champ, I think he's elevated himself to where he's one of the most respected talents, you know, around the world right now. I'm trying to think of who else I would put in that list as far as your breakout stars of the 2010s, when I think about the generation of the 2010s. Right. And, and the, I think from, from coming from where he has and the expectations or, you know, the, the limitations that were capped on him uh, yeah. to what he's been able to accomplish, you'd be hard pressed to find anyone you know else that has you know succeeded like Dalton Castle. Um, I have two names that I would also nominate. Uh, number one is Kevin Steen slash Kevin Owens. I think that he has done a great job for himself in this decade. And I think the other one that you have to throw in there is Okada. I mean, just because he came out of nowhere. Nobody well, saw that coming. I'll put him in the entertainment, but they didn't wrestle a year and a half with a, with a freaking broken back. There is that. There is that. But 
But Kevin Owens was forced to take almost a year off thanks to Jim Cornette running Ring of Honor. And it turned out to be one of the best storylines of the 2010s. Uh, Huckleberry, one other thing that I wanted to talk to you about before we wrap up this week's show. It's going to be NXT TakeOver Blackpool. Me and Andrew Bello, we're going to get together. We're going to do the review. And it may actually be out earlier than previously thought, thanks to a snowstorm getting ready to hit the Midwest that's going to be uh, hitting us tomorrow, which may change my travel plans. Your card for the night, it's going to be Dave Mastiff taking on Eddie Dennis in a no-disqualification match. Mustache Mountain takes on the Grizzled Young Veterans to crown the first NXT UK Tag Team Champions. Rhea Ripley defends against Tony Storm for the NXT UK Women's Championship. And Pete Dunne takes on Joe Coffey. Pete Dunne just passed 600 days as the NXT UK champion. Rick, I think this is going to be a really, really good card. Um, are you following NXT UK whatsoever? Or are you looking forward to been. the show? I have been. Um, and there's, I'm looking forward to every match on this card. And I like how, you know, we've only got a, a, a few of them, a, you know, a handful you could really get invested in. Really looking forward to that championship belt. I'm really looking forward to it being at two o'clock in the afternoon. So that I, can I am go looking about to. the rest of my day. You that I'm looking forward to. Huckleberry, anything else that you wanted to talk about inside of the world of professional wrestling this week? I think we got it all covered. Uh, a lot, you know, that's going to be happening this weekend, and we are going to have a, another busy show Monday over in the 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 locker room. In case you missed the joke, you should check out the real RBV on Twitter. Did want to throw out Monday in the locker room. We will be joined by a very, very special guest, Mr. David McLean, the owner and founder of WOW, as well as the original gorgeous ladies of wrestling so that's going to wrap things up for this week's show thanks for listening and if you haven't yet please hit that subscribe button then head over to the roar network at the check out some of our friends like going home with brian and michael turnbuckle talk with joe and carl and a whole lot more also search hacker hameen on your favorite podcast listening device so you never miss any of the content from rbv and myself in the locker room the locker room the 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 locker room uh, make sure that you stay tuned all week for the daily content from the likes of Billy Ray Valentine, the Andrew Bello, Strangler Steve King, Big Ray Hernandez, Ben Hameen, and of course, Big Stevie Cool himself. Uh, be sure to visit our good friends over at LastWordOnProWrestling.com daily for all the news from all the world of professional wrestling. Jesus, I'm getting lost in my notes. This close is getting so goddamn long at this point. You can hit the show on Twitter at HTMPWPod on Facebook, Hitting the Marks. Email us at HittingTheMarks at gmail.com. Find us on Tuesdays if we can figure out this damn Twitch thing at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for an all-new episode of HTM Sports. You can find me across all social media platforms at NotJargoRBV. Please, for the love of God, start talking so I don't have to talk anymore. But say you mentioned Twitch there. We're going to have a busy weekend over on Facebook and the Hami Media Discussion Group. Twitch is going to be airing Impact Wrestling uh, this evening. So we're going to be uh, chatting it up about that. Then, of course, you know, tomorrow afternoon, Saturday, we've got NXT UK TakeOver. Sunday night, we've got Ring of Honor. Their big show going on. We're going to be recapping that all Monday in the, the, the locker room. Uh, but until then, you can keep up with me, Rick Victory, across all social media at The Real RBV. I also like to encourage everyone out there to head on over on Facebook to check out uh, Facebook.com backslash B, that's B E dot her H E R D D for all of your hospitality marketing needs. 
And we go so over the top, ladies and gentlemen, to bring you more and more and more and more and more and more content. We will have a live correspondent from NXT TakeOver UK. That's right, because we're cool like that. That's going to be Monday in the locker room as well. For now, <sighs> we're off like a prom dress. See ya! Crunch your fingers. Label me. I don't give a f- She was at home with me last night.